Good afternoon. Is that the sound of notes I hear being straightened on a desktop? Uh, yes, it is the sound of paper moving for notes. I'm going to have to start actually putting all my notes into a notepad document or a Word document so I can highlight certain parts. It would also make it easier to just copy out of, to, to copy certain, like, quotes and paragraphs directly out of articles so I could read them out how they were written instead of having to like personally interpret them. Uh, you people are huh? Said you people are way too professional. <laughs> well, this is hey, a I, podcast. I'm normally not, so I have to do at least a little. Right. And also, welcome, Chewy. Uh, it's Sunday, so we're, we're a day behind on recording the episode, but not that you would know. Uh, this, this is Gaming Sessions. I am David, joined by my co-host, Gerald, and guest, Chewy. Hopefully, he doesn't derail us too many times today. Sir, what are you talking about? I I do not conduct this train. I merely ride upon it and observe your two mighty greatnesses. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> David is not impressed, gentlemen. <laughs> Let us get started. Gerald, how was your week? My week was fine. Once again, uh, it was quiet. No major upsets, which is how I like it. Um, uh, as I was just going through my daily routines, um, I was watching the Final Fantasy 16 trailer that just dropped not uh, recently. Um, and it looks good. like, And it looks like they're turning it into an action RPG style of game now. Instead of it being turn-based. Um, mm -hmm. from the footage that they showed, it looks like they might be doing it right. So, um, looking forward to that, looking forward to that. Um, I don't, oh, oh, I should have written it down and I forgot, but I don't remember what the release date was supposed to be. I don't think it's this year. I think it's sometime in the middle of next year, like July or May. Um, mm. So looking forward to looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Um, so I was uh, also I was watching a stream by one of the streamers that I like to watch, and we ended up getting into a discussion on Dragon Ball Fighters because recently the Master Roshi character was released, um, and as far as I can tell, the community is meh about him. He's <laughs> a well, he's a good character. He's a good character, but he has the they so remember I was I don't know if you remember, but when UI Goku came out, I was talking about how he had more moves than anyone else in the game, and so that gave him more options than anyone else in the game. So apparently Arxis was like, and our next character will have even more moves. So now Master Roshi has the longest list of special moves that, uh, of any character in the game. He has all of these different options to make up for the fact that he doesn't have a traditional super dash. Um, hmm. 
but he's really good. Like his B assist, like his assist, uh, his B assist is one of the best assists in the game. Um, he's got almost imperious air control because of his unblockable beam. Um, like he's just a, he's a good character, but he's so technical. Most people don't want to bother trying to learn how to play him. Because he takes very precise, like you have to know every little thing in order to play him to his full potential. And especially online, because of the shitty netcode, that makes it even more difficult. Um, of course, I don't care about Master Roshi. And one of the other, one of the YouTubers I watch who does a lot of Dragon Ball Fighters content is basically their main content. Even he was he was using him, and even he sat down and was like, "Master Roshi is fine, but he's not a character I ever liked. I mean, like I didn't like him. Uh, I didn't like him in the show. Uh, I didn't think he was funny. I didn't think he was cool. He was a sexual predator, and I was like, ha!" I knew it, so someone pointed it out! Because I was like, I was like, they're bringing Master Roshi in the game, like, he's this great person, and I'm like, you all do know that the joke was that he was a dirty old man who was a borderline rapist, right? Hmm. Like, that was literally Master Roshi's character. (laughs) Hmm. Wait a minute, Uh, now he wasn't a rapist? Well, Hmm. right. People stopped him. <laughs> he was just a lecherous old man. He ne- guys, guys, it's only rape if they penetrate, not if they try it and we stop them. This <laughs> is like no, no harm, no foul, guys. <laughs> like, but well, of course, it, they're not going to overtly show that Master Roshi's a friggin' rapist. It's a fucking cartoon. Well, well come on now. What was he supposed to do when Bulma lifted up her dress with no panties on? Was he not supposed to stare at it? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about <laughs> things that happen after that. <laughs> things that are ha- things that have happened in the most recent ar- uh, season of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Super. I was telling David about it. It's this uh, Taoist girl at Tien's new because Tien created a martial arts school and there was a Taoist girl who came there and attacked Tien, gets into a fight with Master Roshi. Uh, She takes over Master Roshi while Goku is there and they defeat Master Roshi and defeat her and she's lying unconscious on the ground and while Tien and Goku are talking, Master Roshi literally picks her up and starts walking off with her. Well, she penetrated him first. (laughs) Turnabout's fair play. Uh, well, that's gonna that's that. See, that's actually gonna come up in the in our main topic of this episode. <laughs> oh lord. Um. So, but anyway, me and him were discussing just video games and Dragon Ball Fighters because he was playing Dragon Ball Fighters, and we were talking about different mechanics they could have done for the characters to make the game fun. And we were talking about how it's because. Where no games aren't being made for fun anymore, they're being made to be esports. And don't get me wrong, I love Dragon Ball Fighters, it irritates the shit to me sometimes, but I love the game and I like that it is a legitimate fighting game. But we got to talking 
and we and we both at the same time had the idea we were like where is superboo why is superboo not in the game and i was like you know what superboo's mechanic could be he could absorb a character on his own team to refill his health bar and give him a buff and give him one of their special moves to use in combat and he was like it's fucking amazing. that would be fucking amazing and i was like i know right and he was like but they'll never do it because game balance because it's not about having fun it's about balancing the game and the thing is i feel like that ability would be balanced within the game because it's a 3v3 fighter and if he eats one of his own characters he's weakening his team because now he only has two characters left versus three for for a for a buff that makes him stronger so he's he's weakening his ability to come back from a bad decision while buffing himself to give himself an advantage in combat i also thought it would be interesting if he could eat an enemy teammate if he beats them with a like like if one of his moves was an absorption move so if he finished that character off with the absorption move he would eat that character and instead of refilling his health bar it would just regenerate his blue life and it wouldn't give him an attack buff it wouldn't give him an attack buff or anything but it would give him one of that character's special moves as a permanent special move to use so i thought that that would be really really fun for super boo and for those who don't know, Super the character out of uh, the Dragon Ball Z series who would absorb other characters into himself and it would change the way he looks and give him all of their moves and it would increase his power. So I was like, yeah, if they brought Super Boo to the game, that would be an amazing mechanic. Um, I also think if we ever get Hellfire 17, which is like this adult version of Android 17, uh, who could absorb? Uh, who could absorb energy through his hands and his skin, or just by being hit with energy? I think one of his moves should be a grab that lets him that lets him drain the enemy's meter and give it to himself. Mm-hmm. So that might be a little broken. I don't know. It, it really depends on how good that grab is, but. Um, but yeah, and also Dragon Ball Fighters got a uh, a huge big patch when Master Roshi came out this Friday because uh, Master Roshi released universally on Friday, and he came out with a big uh, and we got the patch that did a bunch of buffs. Uh, Piccolo got a bunch of buffs that he didn't need, but got buffs to make him an even better character than he already was. Um, Jiren, one of the characters that was seen as the worst characters in the game got a bunch of buffs that has elevated him some but we'll have to wait and see how that really plays out um cell got a bunch of buffs that people are saying is going to turn him back into the terror he was in vanilla i don't think that's the case but he got a lot of really good buffs um so we'll (laughs) so we'll see how good cell turns out from here uh, who else? Um, oh, they gave Z Broly two buffs. Not not anything big, but he got buff. People were asking for him to get nerfed, but he got buff, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. Um, 
Nerf people him, nerf like, him. You said buff him? Okay. No, we said nerf him. Hey, it, see, that's the thing, though. A, the, the entirety of the Dragon Ball Z community has been asking for buffs for Goku Black because while he is... Uh, he's a he's a decent character, like all the characters. Every character in the game is a decent character. You can win with any character in the game. The reason high tier characters are high tier is because it's safer and easier to win with them than it is the low tier characters, right? Um. So everyone was like, "Well, Goku Black needs some buffs. He needs." To, he needs some things to get him back to where he can compete with all these other characters. They did. They changed his B assist to be a little bit better, and that's it. So they basically gave him nothing this patch, hmm. and everybody like, "What the fuck?" Um, and it's one of those things. Like in League of Legends, there's a saying: if another character is overpowered, uh, nerf Irelia. Because for a while, what would happen is we would get patch notes in League of Legends where a character, uh, where we've been t t trying to tell the developers, hey, this character is OP, they need to be nerfed in some way. And a patch would come out, they wouldn't touch the character we were complaining about, but they would nerf something that Irelia had. <laughs> and we were like, but no one was complaining about Irelia. No one was complaining about Irelia. Why did you nerf Irelia and completely ignore the person we asked you to nerf? <laughs> so like, literally, no one was complaining. But hey, uh, you know that thing that Irelia does? You really like it's nerfed. <laughs> yep, nerf. So, uh, so yeah, Dragon Ball Fighters. Uh, they changed the matchmaking for ranked back to two out of three matches. I understand why they did it. I don't know. Everyone understands why they did it to keep people from farming, but no one agrees to it because even if, if someone was beating you, you can <laughs> decline matching them again. You didn't have to keep fighting them. The reason we asked for unlimited matchmaking, basically meaning we could play the same person over and over again, was so that people who are trying to learn the game can try to figure out how to beat those stronger players, figure out how their characters could work to uh, deal with that situation. And in order to do so, depending on your own ability to learn, that could take anywhere from 10 to 50 games just to mm. try to figure out how to stop one thing that you don't quite understand. So, and and sometimes you just ran into a player whose skill level was equal to your to your own. You each had pretty unique teams, and you were just having fun playing each other. Like, I had, uh, I was playing one guy who we were pretty equal in skill, and we played, like, 30-plus matches because I was just having fun, and they were like, hey, let's they were like, hey, let's fight for a little while. And I was like, yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> so, you read my mind, my fellow. Right. So it's just like, so no one agree everyone understands the change, but no one agrees with it. We don't think that they should have changed it. And more than likely, next patch, they'll change it back. So eh, we'll see. Um, but outside of that, uh, 
that's about it for Dragon Ball Fighters. Nothing really else to report at this time. We're still seeing what Master Roshi is going to be, if he's going to be a top-tier character, or if he's just <laughs> complicated for anybody to bother. Uh, we've got to see how all the buffs work out. Like, nobody, as far as far as I know, no one got a nerf. Everybody either got buffs or were left untouched. And a lot of people are angry at my boy Majin Buu, the kid version. Um, <laughs> because everyone was like, he needs to be nerfed. Like, the thing, because... Majin Buu has been nerfed three times, three to four times throughout the history of Dragon Ball Fighters. He's still one of the top five characters in the game. And and people were like, that motherfucker needs to be nerfed again. You need it. And they didn't touch him this patch. And I'm happy. I've been playing Majin Buu <laughs> since day one. He's been my character since day one. I dropped him for a little while to try other characters like Cooler and Android 21 as a team. Um, but I've been playing Majin Buu since day one, period. So them leaving him, and I don't think he's honestly, he's strong. Like, in any sense of the word, he is a strong character, right? I don't think he's so strong that he needs to be nerfed. Or, or he would be on everyone's team. That's the thing. See, GT Goku, when he dropped, was such a good option over everyone else. He was in every top eight team, except for maybe, I won't say every. He was in six out of eight teams in the top eight. Majin Buu has never been in six of the eight teams in top eight, ever. Hmm. But everybody is like, he needs to be nerfed. <laughs> he was that good. He would literally be on every professional team, period. If he was that good. You would think so. So I guess we'll we'll have to wait and we'll have to see. I think the game is getting closer to the fact where, yeah, there are going to be strong characters, but you can basically play what you want. Um, we don't agree. Arxis is kind of tiptoeing with characters, hmm. which is pain. Um, honestly, it would be... It's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't issues. If they buff a character too much, the character becomes OP and you see him in every fucking team from the, until they get nerfed, right? But if you don't buff them enough, then they didn't really change. And so they're, not, they're still not very much used and your community is unhappy. If you nerf a character too much and that keeps them from being useful in actual competitive play then your community is unhappy. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Arxis is in a tough situation. I get it. Um, I guess it's just natural to want them to just, just... just It's natural to tell Arxis to just buff a character, regardless if it makes him OP. Let's see how it turns out, and then you can always scale it back depending on that information. Um, because if you hit... Because if you in your buffs of a character um, it is harder to gauge exactly what made the character better and in a more balanced way so I don't know so we'll see how that goes um, outside of that I got deeper into the Dresden file book uh, Peace, talk, uh, Peace Talks uh, I'm, a, I'm a little past halfway and it is just as good as all of Jim Butcher's other books. 
it is it's been really good. I've been avidly reading it. Um Thomas has gotten himself into a world of shit. And if you don't know who that character is, once you get to those books, you you will know. Um, it's not a spoiler to tell you that he got himself into a world of shit. Um, he does it on the reg. <laughs> he, does, he does tend to do it on the regular. Um, is there anything else I can say about the book that won't spoil anything? Oh, there's something that I noticed about uh, Dresden as I was reading the book. So there's a there's a situation in the book where because for the longest time Dresden like the and you learn this in the very first book very early on Dresden is a part of what is called the White Council. It's basically a congregation of uh, wizards. So think of it as a personal wizard nation, sort of like a sort of like the Mason. Think of it like that. Um. And they do not like Dresden. Like, when they first found him as a kid, he had just recently killed his master, and they are very strict about, like, black magic and warlock stuff in the Dresden Files. Um, Mm -hmm. Killed teenagers for doing that kind of thing, right? They are very ironclad about that kind of thing. And they're not wrong to be, is the thing. It's fucked up, but they're not wrong to be. Well, Dresden only narrowly escaped basically being killed, but he is always being watched, right? He is distrusted by the White Council. Well, with new developments, a situation shows up where they think he might be a traitor or have been, like, mentally corrupted or being mentally manipulated by someone. Um, So he gets into this altercation with a couple of other wizards who are called wardens, and they're like the enforcers of the White Council. He gets into an altercation with them where they ask him a a personal question, and he basically tells them to fuck off. And for me, for me, I go, I'm sitting here like Dresden, you could literally just answer the question. it, 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 it It feels like Dresden does makes dumb decisions just because mm-hmm. and it's like <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like yes it's a personal question no it's not any of their business Dresden but can you really not understand where they're coming from considering the consequences mm-hmm. considering the circumstances considering the circumstances are you just being rebellious to be rebellious like you're making Probably. the situation worse by like by not answering the simple question and they were they were even using a magical technique to tell if he was lying or not so it was literally as simple as him answering the question and these weren't wardens that he couldn't trust these were wardens that he knew and trusted and didn't think were corrupted in any way these were wardens who were, except for in this moment, his friend. Chewie, did you fall asleep again? I think you did. <laughs> okay. Well, let's take a break here because him snoring on the <laughs> the line is okay. So let's take a break here and we'll come back and he can join us again. All right, we'll be right back. All right. <laughs> 
we're back. He probably hasn't eaten since yesterday or some stupid shit that he does. Yeah. Um, but getting back to the Dresden Files, but basically he was being contrary for the sake of being contrary instead of taking in the overall circumstances and as they were, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, like, he literally did what I feel he literally did what I feel like he has accused other people of doing as well. It's like, just answer the question. It's not a big deal. It's it, And I'm sitting here like, Dresden, are you ashamed to answer the question? Like, any, like anybody else would have been screaming the high heavens the answer to the question that they asked, right? But, no, it's like he's... A, it was it, it was like it's it was this closely guarded secret and I'm like what why <laughs> so I don't think it'll I don't think it spoils anything to say what the question was but basically they asked him uh, they did a spell to find out uh, who he had um, sexually been with in the last like 48 hours like who had he had sex with in the last 48 hours. And they came up with one person. Now, the reason they asked this question is because um, there is what are called white court vampires in the Dresden Files uh, world. And they're basically incubuses and succubuses. And they function in mostly the same way. And they can mentally manipulate you. So they were afraid that that's what was happening to Dresden. Well, that wasn't what was happening to Dresden because Dresden had been with his actual girlfriend. And so they asked him, who had you been with last? And he was just adamant about not answering the question. And I'm like, dude, is it really that big of a deal if you tell them you were fucking your girlfriend? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't understand why you're making this confrontation. I don't understand why you're escalating this confrontation over something that trivial. Well, I mean, is it is it really trivial for Dresden? Yeah. <laughs> for Dresden, apparently not. And it was worth nearly getting into a fight with four of the wardens. Um over not telling them that he had been sleeping with his girlfriend, something that anyone would have assumed was going on, considering she was his girlfriend. That's why I'm like, you're making this situation worse over nothing. <laughs> over literally nothing. What? Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I... I I found that to be a bit of a problem. I, I don't. The thing is, it was still within Dresden's character, but it was stupid. I was like, "Really, <laughs> you're going to make this situation like you're going to make this situation worse because you don't want to tell them that you had been sleeping with your girlfriend in the last forty eight hours? Really?" Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like, and that, I was like, "What? Are you you're ashamed to tell them that that was?" And the thing is, before that happened, there was a point in time when he misinterpreted the expression of another character, and he literally blurts out, "Why can't anybody believe that I have a girlfriend?" He literally blurted that out. But when they ask him who he was having sex with in the last forty eight hours, that's none of their business. <laughs> I'm like, really, dude? 
<laughs> I guess you could file that under Dresden just being Dresden. Yeah, just being dumb for, I guess, I don't want to say the sake of the plot, but I can only see it that way. It, it literally makes no sense. Hmm. Um, but, uh, so, but otherwise, like, I have no real complaints about everything that's been going on. The book has been great. It really has. Um, so did that this week. So I've been reading that this week. I have been, I have seen the cuties argument that's happening. And mm-hmm. for those who don't know, there's a movie that dropped on Netflix about uh, called Cuties, which, and I still haven't watched it, right? I, I was like, now nah, I'm not ready to, to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But I still haven't watched it. But as far as what reviewers and discussions have been saying about it, it is a movie that discusses the sexual exploitation of children, pretty much. Um, and that this is a thing that actually goes on. And that the movie and, and the movie has gotten a huge backlash. People saying the movie never should have been made. People saying it is in poor taste. And other people going, what it is, is it shedding light on something that is actually going on and does actually happen right now. That's what it was meant to do. The movie was written by a woman who apparently went through what the movie entails um, from, and this is just from what reviewers and the discussions have said um, mm-hmm. and when I listened to people explain why they thought the movie shouldn't exist or why it was such a terrible idea to have made the movie um, all I really heard all it, the, the basic gist of the argument was it is uncomfortable and I don't want to see it and I'm just like, well, if your argument for why something shouldn't have been done is just because it makes you uncomfortable and sheds a light on something you would rather not have to see or acknowledge, then that's exactly why the movie should exist. Hmm. Because it means that something terrible is happening within the world and within our societies, and you're turning a blind eye to it because you just don't want to deal with it. So that's exactly why it should exist. Hmm. To force you to look at it, to force you to deal with it, and hopefully then it can be corrected and stopped. Because if you just turn a blind eye to it because it makes you uncomfortable, then it continues. Un- it-, it continues. Right. So of the two sides of the argument, everyone who seems to be bitching about the movie, so far that I know, I haven't gone through every review, I haven't been through every discussion, but of the ones I've read, of the people I've listened to who are like, this movie was terrible, it never should have been made, it's it's such a bad taste, all their arguments really came out to be was, it made me uncomfortable, it made me some horrible shit that's going on in our societies right now and I didn't want to have to deal with that. I didn't want to have to know about it and I didn't want to have to think about it and how dare you make me. That's literally what it what their argument came out to. And I was like <sighs> and people are leaving Netflix in droves over it. <clears throat> yeah, over yeah, it's like fucking stupid. 
<laughs> it's fucking stupid. Um, well, I will agree it is a very uncomfortable topic to broach. But there are, well, hell, I'm in a Facebook group uh, that a friend of my wife started. Basically, uh, it's called Soldiers for the Kids. And like their focus is to like help find abandoned kid, you know, kids run away or shit like that. And it's definitely, it's definitely something that needs to be brought to the front so it can be quashed and we can, you know, stop the kid diddlers from diddling kids and uh, all that shit. But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But and like I said, I haven't watched the movie yet. I, I'm i not ready to. That's really what it comes down to. I'm not ready to watch that movie yet. So I can I give in. So I, I can don't give an opinion. think I want to. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I want to. Um, but if... I don't know. It, like, And the thing is, it's not that I... It, it's not that the movie... It's not like I'm afraid of what the movie's going to say or that I like I've known about human trafficking forever. It's a bad thing. It needs to be stopped. They even have organizations specifically for dealing with and stopping human trafficking. And if human right. trafficking exists, of course, child trafficking exists. It's just human trafficking. It doesn't matter. It traffics in men, women and children like there have been. The, the the fact that there have been child snuff films for years is a thing. Right? Like snuff snuff films have been a thing since I was a child. Um so the cute cuties is nothing new. It is just a movie that was done about it um that was put on Netflix. Now what I will say is some of the discussions that I read were stating that the, the the small girls in the movie were put into compromising positions that they didn't have to be. Some people were even saying that would have been better if they had just made it an animated movie because then it wouldn't have been actual children acting it out. Um, mm-hmm. And then there wouldn't have been as much or any backlash over it because it wouldn't have been using actual children in it. <clears throat> And once again, I haven't I haven't watched the movie, so I don't know if there are also small boys because the only pictures you ever see are of four small girls who are, I guess, the main focus of the movie. And I yeah. wonder if it had been as if it would have been as big of a backlash if it had been four small boys put in those compromising positions. And I bring this up specifically because human it, society as a whole naturally gets more outraged when it's something to do with a female than rather if it's done with the male. So I wonder if it had been all male children that this movie had been about and their sexual trafficking, if people would have just been like, well, that was in poor taste, not going to watch it. And then that would have been the end of discussion. But because it's four small girls, everyone is just losing their minds. Hmm. Well, I mean, what would that be like? <clears throat> eight-year-old Chippendales dancing or some shit? They'd probably have to have nudity. But uh, I've seen... Well, like I said, I haven't watched the movie, so I don't know exactly what everybody is talking about, so I I can only go by the discussions I've read. I have seen a clip or two, and it's like the girls are twerking, they're making O-faces, they're like 
humping the ground, kind of that kind of shit. Mm. There, it's like uh, it's like Bring It On, except it's eight-year-old girls. Ah, and yet no one was really angry about the Bring It On movies, even though most of those movies were high school girls. But acted by people who were 18 plus. <laughs> I mean, you're not. Uh, I mean, yeah, you are correct. I'm... But the I, I guess what you're saying, it's the perception. It's ooh, look at that. You know, supposedly 17-year-old cheerleader shaking her ass and wiggling her tits and doing all that kind of sexy shit. Well, well, right. It's like because <laughs> even if it was acted by adults, it was still portraying underage, what would be considered underage children. Yet those movies got what? There were like there are like eight of those movies. There's four of them. <laughs> Only four. Are you sure? Because I thought it then went into college, and there were like two or three college ones. I don't know. Hmm. I, I just know that uh, and the first one was cool because there were some you know, hot chicks that I liked in it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I One person made the argument that they didn't have to be as explicit as they were, and that's why they didn't like the movie and why they thought the movie shouldn't have been made, which I can understand that because, like I said earlier, it seems they went very, very deep into the situations that these young girls could find themselves in. And maybe that's what everybody is outraged by. It's like you didn't have to go that far. You could have just implied it. But without seeing the movie and seeing the exact situations, I don't know. It, we get, we tend to get really, really outraged when it comes to children. And I don't know if that's a natural instinct or not. Because, you know, you've had movies where there is explicit sodomizing and people don't get that, don't get as angry about it. Just because it's happening to an adult doesn't make it any less of a horrific thing. Hmm. <sighs> well, I guess it's more horrific for it to happen. It does make it more horrific if it happens to a child, but it's still wrong. I feel like there should be just as much outrage, but <sighs> I don't know. And, and, it's, and like I said, I haven't watched, as I keep saying, I have not watched the movie just from what I'm reading and from what I'm listening to. They never go, they, they never actually have anything pornographic happen, right? They, but they apparently go too far as far as people are concerned. So, I, I don't know. Take that as you will. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, at the, but when it comes right, but brass tacks, when it comes down to it, if a movie comes out that you disagree with and don't like, don't pay for it. Don't watch it. Say say that you don't like it, why you don't like it, and then leave the discussion. Because the bigger of an argument that happens out of it, the more publicity it gets. Mm-hmm. Like, when it, comes to <laughs> like well, when it comes to media like that, if you want to kill anything in media, if you want to kill it, don't talk about it. That's how you kill those things. You don't go, you right. don't give it your money. You don't talk about it. And when you leave a review, 
you leave your one scathing review and then you end your involvement with it then and there. That's how you kill a thing. But you jumping into discussion and having the argument only increases its ability to get out to other people and for them to see it. Then they're arguing about it and then it increase that only that only encourages its infamy. So if you if you wanna if you wanna look at it this way, a lot of serial killers do their serial killing because it shows up in the newspapers, it shows up on the news. They like the infamy. It's kind of the same way. The bigger a deal you make of it, the more it's going to happen, the bigger it's going to grow. Right. And I'm not saying that's a one-to-one analogy, but I, I, I'm trying to give a good uh context for it. And uh, And as far as a lot of people are concerned, this movie was a psychotic undertaking so i figured it fit right it's kind of paradoxical you don't want it to happen but you're still talking about it giving it more airtime more steam yeah but uh, i like how you put it leave your scathing review and then tell it to fuck off yeah that's how you kill a thing Um, but yeah, so that controversy is going on, man. Um, <laughs> oh, there is one thing that happened in this week. So my friend Nick, uh, mm. his eldest daughter has started school. She's been going to school for like three weeks. Um, and she is not getting driven home on the bus. She's getting driven home. Uh, one of the teachers actually carpools uh, some of the kids who live further out of the way uh, and they take them home and pick them up from the bus stop and take them to school. They do a carpool thing. So one day uh, Abby is like 15 minutes late to get home and I'm talking to Nick and we're like where the fuck is the music teacher with Abby? So he calls the school, and apparently the music teacher had a, con- a, a, a a meeting he had to go to after school, and so one of the other adults in the, that works with the school, I think it was the uh, maintenance lady, I think they said it was, uh, yeah. who works for the school, they know her, they let her take all the kids home. Well, she was late because she doesn't know exactly you know, she doesn't know the route well. Well, if you Google map our, uh, if you Google map our uh, address, it actually takes you to an address in town because we live outside of town. So it actually takes you to addresses in town. Hmm. So we're sitting here like, what the fuck? Because if she, if the, if the lady who's taking, supposed to be taking Abby home, um, takes, uses Google Maps to get there, she's going to be dropping Abby off in some neighborhood in town. Hmm. So my biggest question was, 
why didn't they call all of those parents and advise them that the music teacher had a meeting and that someone else was going to be bringing them home and so they might be late because they don't actually know the route? Why wasn't then the person taking the kids home provided with a map or some way of, uh, you know, some exact specifics to get to their homes? And why wasn't every parent, upon calling them to let them know of the change, given a number to that driver so that they could call that driver to guide them to where they needed to go in case there was, uh, in case they were excessively late? Mm. Like me, like logically again, Gerald. Well, and that's the thing, because like me and Nick were like Abby hadn't shown up for 20 minutes. Me and Nick were ready to start burying bodies. Hmm. We were like, where the fuck (laughs) is his child? So we call and we find out about the meeting the guy then calls her, uh, and I told Nick because he because he was talking to me before he called them. Um, he was talking to me after he called them, and he was like, "I wonder if she's using Google Maps because Google Maps is going to take her somewhere else." And I was like, "You're probably going to want to call them and tell them that because more than likely they don't know." And we're and if she does use Google Maps, we are we are hoping that Abby will go. This is not my house. But if Abby doesn't say that, Abby might get off, and she just might leave Abby in some random neighborhood in town. Hmm. <laughs> it's like so. We went through calling and stuff, and we were finally able to get in. We were finally able to get in touch with the lady who was driving everybody home. Uh, we made sure she knew exactly where she needed to go, and I think about ten minutes later, she delivered Abby safe and sound at home. And Nick is the kind of Nick is an ex Nick's a, Nick is a Marine, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So whenever a conflict happens, he's the first person to load up a gun and start aiming down sights, right? And I was like, dude, you were being ridiculously calm about this because if it was if if it was my child, that school might be on fire by now. Hmm. Because you don't <laughs> fuck with the safety of my child. And I'm sitting here like, what the fuck is wrong with these teachers? They are responsible for the, the, the safety of your child. When they take your child to school, they are now responsible for the safety of your child and the delivering of that child back to you and the safety of that child's parents. If you make a change like that, you need to notify the parents of that change. The parents should not have to call the school and go, where is my child? Right. (laughs) And I thought about that and I was like, these aren't even bad people. These are just bad people with not enough common sense to make one good decision. Hmm. And, and that's the, the world. Yeah, and, and that's really the world at large. The world is full of assholes, but what also is a problem is the world is full of decent enough people who have no fucking concept of what common sense is. Hmm. Like, 
the first thing, like the moment Nick told me about the situation, I was like, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, why wouldn't they have just called you and let you know that that was what was going on so you wouldn't be waiting for your child for 15 minutes going, where the fuck is my kid and freaking out? Hmm. Right. Like, it it made sense to me that if you're going, if, if it's possible the kid could be late to be getting, to to be given back into the care of their parent, that you would let the parent know that that was going to be a thing and why. Instead of the parent going, well, my kid was supposed to be home 20 minutes ago. What is going on? You'd think think if there was a lateness issue, they'd be calling and telling you that on the way. Like, hey, uh, I'm going to be a little late. So, you know, I had to switch teachers or whatever. By the way, how the hell do we get to your house? Right. And and I even thought about the situation. I was like, well, you can't do that for an entire school of kids, but it's not an entire school of kids that were they were delivering this way. All the other kids got on buses. This was a small group of maybe five, six kids at most that they were doing this for because they lived in out-of-way places away from the routes. You couldn't call five or six phone numbers to let the parents know about this change? Evidently not. You like (sighs) and the thing is what if she had used google maps and taken abby to that uh, to that neighborhood and abby being a child trusting that she was being delivered where she was supposed to be delivered just got out and then she left her there (laughs) lawsuit lawsuit Oh, no, it wouldn't have just been a lawsuit. At that point, (sighs) no, I'm going to say something incriminating, and that might be a court case later. So, no, I'm just, no, 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 okay. It wouldn't have been just a lawsuit. Would have been worse. (laughs) But, yeah, that happened this week, and I was like, (sighs) yeah, this is... Uh, I just, just, and like I said, probably not bad people. I don't know them personally, so I couldn't say they might be all pieces of shit as far as I know, but I go off the concept that they're not bad people, but I'm like, guys, this isn't even about using your brain. This is about common sense. If you are going like, it, it really comes down to put yourself in the other person's position. If you had a kid and your kid just was 20 minutes late getting home, no word from the school that anything had changed, your first inclination is to go, what happened to my child? Am I going to have to kill somebody today? Is my (laughs) child alive? (laughs) Like, when all that needed to happen was the school to give you a call and go, oh, Plans have changed. They might be a little late getting home. Understand that we have things well in hand and your child will be delivered to you safe and sound. No problem. Now the parent is like, okay, they're 20 minutes late. The person driving them doesn't know the route. They're going to be a little late. Not a big deal. Instead of them literally freaking the fuck out. Hmm. (laughs) Like, uh... (laughs) 
Yeah, it, and it, it's like, no, the world is in a shitty position just as much of decent people not using common sense in easily avoided uh, situations. Right. <sighs> um, so... Uh, and the last thing that was going on this week for me is I ended up getting back to li- I ended up listening to a lot of music again, like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of music again. Um, and uh, like I ended up listening to a lot of old music as well as some of the newer music. I was listening to Santana by uh, the Smooth by Santana. Like I, I was like, man, I've forgotten all about this song. Um, hmm. uh, Give me the beat by the Doobie Brothers. Uh, Natural by Imagine Dragons. Uh, I came across uh, RX Medicaid by Theory. Um, oh, and I and I was listening to Medicaid by Theory, and I was listening to the song again, and I was like, and this was a uh, 2018 song. Let me see. Am I right about that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm checking right now. I think this was released in 2017. So this was a song released in 2017. And for those who don't know anything about theory, uh, Medicaid by Theory, um, it I, I can't go through all the lyrics for you. I, I, I couldn't do that right now. I, I couldn't do that before. But I'm listening through the song, and I was like, holy shit, this predicted all of 2020. Hmm. Listen to that song and tell me it wasn't a future prediction of the year of 2020. Medicaid by theory. Listen to that song. Tell me it is not a prediction of the year of 2020. And the band is called Just Theory? Just Theory. You can do that later. I'm mostly talking to our listeners, who I'm happy to have back. Hope you guys have been having a good day and a good week and been being safe out there. Um, but happy to have you back. Any new listeners, happy to have you here listening to us. Thank you for show, uh, Thank you for having an interest. Um, but yeah, so I was doing that. Um, and while I was doing that, uh, my brain went off on a weird tangent about cell phones and I was like, and, and this is something that people have probably talked about before, but it just, I guess I knew it, but I didn't realize it. And the realization hit me that phones will most likely replace computers completely. Yeah. Because think about all the things that your phone can already do. Like it can already surf the internet. It allows you to pay for items it allows you to identify yourself because you can actually use a phone app to bring up your uh, your insurance if you get pulled over by the police and they ask for your insurance. You can show it to them on your phone. I've done that before. Um, so you can use it as identification. You can use it to pay for things. You can use it to surf the internet. You can use it to download and upload to different platforms. Uh what are the things that it doesn't do? Because it, it allows you to, uh, it allows you to take payments. Because there are vendors who use cell phones to take payments. Um, like what? It, what can you not do with a cell phone that you can do 
with a like laptop or a desktop computer. And mostly it would come down to like crunching big server numbers and things like that. But like it, it mostly it the problem would mostly be storage, right? But it but at one time computers had that same problem with storage, right? At mm-hmm. one time computer like you think back to cell phones, like cell phones have been around like cell phones showed up in my lifetime. They've only been around for like twenty years, right? And they went from being is it longer than that? Like thirty, um, maybe thirty five. Okay, so they started off as basically bricks with antennas, <laughs> and yep. and <laughs> yeah, and now they're small enough to fit in your back pocket, right? And they have more functionality. So as technology advances, how long before they just replace laptops and desktops, and everything is just done on a and everything is just done on a phone? So I was thinking about that, and I was like, yeah, that's because technology is constantly making things more compact. So really what you're – and this is a business tip for all you companies who can afford to do this kind of research. What you're really looking to do is to find a small, compact way of storing huge amounts of information, which is already a thing that they try to do. It's why RAM has gotten smaller it's, it's why a lot of things have gotten smaller, because they found better ways to compact information, right? Micro SD cards. Like, I've got one in my phone. I've got one in the other phone that I used to use to record the podcast. Yeah, and you can an SD card can get pretty big. Um, this one was four gigabyte, I think. Yeah. So as hardware gets smaller and more sophisticated, yeah, it, it looks very much like that's the uh, that is the technological evolution that we're headed towards. Just depends on when it's going to happen. Um, to be fair, it may not take all that long. Maybe what another hundred years? Hell, computers haven't even been around for a hundred years yet, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, yeah. And look how sophisticated they've, they've become in less than 100 years. Went from punch cards to solid-state hard drives. They went from filling up entire rooms to being big enough to sit on a desk or in your lap. Mm-hmm. So, no, no, that, it was just a, yeah. So that thought popped into my head, and I was like, yeah, that's crazy. It's, it's crazy to think <laughs> how things are going to change literally in under the next hundred years, you know, if we don't kill ourselves in that time span. <laughs> right. There's always that moving over the horizon. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, that's pretty much it for my week and the things that I was kind of doing and looking into. So, Cool, cool. Um. So for me, thankfully, the temperatures uh, dropped a little bit, so I wasn't pouring out sweat while working. Uh, We're still driving almost to the Virginia border for work. Um, I've got a first impression, too. I found a game for sale called The Surge, and it's also available on PlayStation and PC. And 
uh, was it you or Chewy that was talking about Dark Souls? Me. This is the sci-fi Dark Souls. Yeah, I've seen, I've actually seen The Surge. Go ahead. I don't know how many times I've died since I downloaded the game, but I've died quite a bit. (laughs) Well, Dark Souls. Well, this is my first interaction with any kind of Dark Souls type game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you, uh, in the game, you play a guy who is a paraplegic. He goes to work for this, I guess, robotics uh, war industry company called Creo. And, you know, of course, being a Dark Souls type game, you watch them install all the, <clears throat> excuse me, exosuit stuff onto them. Mm-hmm. So poor guy looks like a uh, a reject first version of a Borg. Like he's got chips welded into his in the back of his head and all kinds of stuff. And so I'm basically trying to run around the first level, trying to figure out where the fuck I need to go. There's... Uh, I've come across the first boss. I had to actually go to uh, go to the internet to figure out what the fuck I need to do. I've pretty much explored everywhere I can for now until I either defeat this boss called Pax, or I don't know. There's another one that looks like a uh, looks like a tree cutter, and it's that's a pain in the ass to try to 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 defeat it. It kills me in one hit. So that that's always mm. fun. And then along have with you that, been leveling? Have you been leveling up your stats and stuff? Uh, about the only thing I can level up right now is what's called your uh, power your power core, and that's at level. I want to say it's twenty nine. Actually, I can find out. Thirty. You got to make sure to. Yeah, the the biggest thing about Dark Souls is you're going to do some. You're gonna have to if you want to get through things easier, you know, and if if you want to get things through things more, more easily, you're gonna have to grind. Um, and you and it's really a game about not giving up. Figure out what you did wrong. Go back to it. And win the next time. It's really a game about don't give up. Yeah, I can see that. It's got an interesting fighting system. You can target the enemy, target specific limbs. You can do finishing moves, which are pretty cool. Um, and in fact, when you were talking your your bit about your week with uh, Abby and all that, I was trying to fight Pax again. I got through two rounds of knocking him down to where I can actually do damage to him. But uh, yeah, bad timing and I got killed again. But it seems, it seems like an interesting game. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and just do some grinding right now so I can get my core power up. Cause there's a one other door that I, can open, but I, my power core has to be at level 55 to open it. So I'm wondering if I just have to just walk around, kill shit, deposit tech scrap, go back out, rinse, repeat until I can get the, my power core to 55. That's going to be a, 
that's going to be a grind because it's at 30 now and it, and the next level up requires like almost 5,000 scrap to do it. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> expensive. Wait until you have to find very like specific special items to upgrade stuff. Oh yeah. I already have that because uh, the uh, exo suit I'm using is the Mark one and to get Mark two, I have to have like, for example, a force regulator Mark II for the arms, a rig armature Mark II for the body, cortical processor Mark II, 10 of those. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I can't wait. Yay. So much fun. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. See, I think I finished another chapter for my rewrite. Uh, oh, in honor of of the new Dune movie coming out, I have two of the uh, enemy officers in my book sort uh, do a, a knife battle, a knife duel to the death. Hmm. Nice. And oh, you mean an homage or nod? Homage, same thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I... And then, uh, not only on top and, of that, or is it homage? Is it homage or homage? Or is it the same word just said differently? (laughs) Same word said differently. Okay. And as another homage, I, uh, you remember in princess bride when Carrie Elways, character is fighting the Spaniard and they're they're like, and they talk about the specific style they're using. I kind of did a little bit of that, but you know, it was like, Oh, so that was a, that was a Wing Chun Perry. I see like, Oh, you're uh, you're quite learned for a corporate, you know, leader like yeah. Well, try this one out. This one's uh, wing. Uh, well, something like this one is Muay Thai or some shit like that. And the, <laughs> this one uh, is Eagle eats frog. <laughs> this one is Poison Frog kills Eagle. <laughs> this like is that. Ostrich Head Butts Hippopotamus. <laughs> <laughs> I love old kung fu movies. <laughs> Love old kung fu movie so much. That uh, down is quote of the quote of the day. <laughs> this is my Iron Bear style. <laughs> this is my Lazy Fox style. This is my what does the fuck say? Uh, okay, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> no, it's fine. We've got our quote for the for the episode, kind of like the at the end of the day, a vote for me means keeping your butthole safe. All right. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, yeah, that's essentially been my week. So we've run a little long on our week segment, but that's okay. Uh, we're going to take a oh, and for uh, for housekeeping notes. If, I don't know if you saw it in the chat, but we have two. I recorded two more sponsor messages. They're for they're for voting since you know the elections only like a month and a half away. Mm-hmm. So I'll be throwing those in there uh, along with our anchor sponsor. In fact, I might do one after this. So we'll go ahead and take a break, and then we'll get to talking about our episodes. Okay. Back in a moment, folks. 
All right, welcome back. So, Parasite. What can I say except Murano's waffling more? Um, the Parasites uh, seem to... Uh, they're not happy with Shinichi. And, well, I mean, considering the circumstances, they probably shouldn't be. <laughs> hmm. So for episode 15, I'm just going to kind of like really crash course this. Uh, the friend of the private investigator gets killed. We find out that is it all of the parasites or is it just a certain one that can now detect Shinichi? No, they all could. All of them have had the ability to detect because they're not detecting Shinichi, they're detecting Mickey. But because of Mickey using parts of himself to fix Shinichi to keep him from dying, his signal's very weak, and it's even weaker when he goes to sleep. Right. Uh, and there was a at some point in the episode where I noted down that Miggy seems to care. But then that's probably just his survival instinct that makes him seem like he cares. We see more of Shinichi trying to be human. Uh, also in this episode, the PI throws in the yeah. towel, says he's done with all this bullshit, but I think he ends up getting killed too. Mm, oh, the detective? Yeah, the private investigator. Did you not watch both episodes? I did, but that was on Friday. <laughs> oh, no, no. He he survives. It, it's part of the problem that I had with this, with this episode. So they told the detective recently, don't follow up on Tamora. She'll kill you. So the detective, of course, did the reasonable and sensible thing after everything that he's seen and did it anyway because he's a dumb fuck. Hmm. Uh, and like you said, his friend gets killed, and it's at that point he goes to talk to Shinichi about it and says that he's out, but now the parasites know about him, and Tamura told them about him. This is what was stupid, though. Hmm. They send two parasites to kill him. He comes home after apparently having gone to the store, and the, his wife and his daughter have been killed by those two parasites. And the parasites, for some odd reason, just left. Hmm. They literally missed him because he went out to get something from the store. They didn't think to wait for him to come home. Nothing. They, they killed the two people and left. And then when Tamura and the other parasite questioned them about it, they were, they were like, you didn't get the detective. And the I shit you not, the other parasite was like, it was dark. We thought they we thought we got the right one. And I was like, what? <laughs> After literally going out of your way to show how intelligent and coldly logical that these parasites are, are you going to sit here and tell me that the assassins that they sent to kill this detective killed two people? And didn't think to turn on a goddamn light to verify they were the right ones. <laughs> there was when the detective got home, 
the light was literally on in the living room, and he looked into the darkened room and saw the corpses of his uh his wife and kid. So not only was that explanation fucking stupid, but there was enough light that they could have checked. And you're also telling me that they just assumed that his wife was him because the coldly logical parasites would not have given the other parasites a description of who they were looking for to make sure they got the right person? (laughs) See, at this point, the writers just don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) That was the... That was so fucking stupid. I just I just paused and told the show to go fuck itself. I literally <laughs> paused right there and said, fuck you, show. Fuck you. <laughs> I, didn't even think, I didn't even think about that either. <sighs> and then, okay, so... Murano waffles again. So, like, Shinichi's walking, and then uh, Murano, uh, Yuko, and the little spunky uh, short chick all, like, they they meet. And Shinichi, excuse me, Shinichi smiles, but then Murano's like, oh, no, I got something to do over here, and then then runs off. Yeah, Shinichi is, like, when you said that Shinichi is still trying to be human, I was like, you mean like every other normal person in the world? Because mm. <laughs> he hasn't lost any of his emotions. And I was thinking about that again because he keeps bitching and moaning about it. And I'm like, dude, if they had shown that you were slowly not able to... like, So take every time he gets homicidally angry about what happened to his mom. If they were showing that that was affecting him less and less, then it would give credit to him losing his humanity and not being human. Once again, it's the question of what makes a man a man. But he has all of his emotions intact. He just can't express them how he used to. Just because you can't express an emotion like another person does does not mean you are less of a human being. It is the complete and utter lack of that emotion that makes you less of a human being. But he still has all his emotions. So none of his melodrama, emo, self uh, what what is the word I'm looking for? Self-pity means anything because he hasn't lost anything except for the ability to express his emotions, which, if you think about it, is exactly how most women want men to be. Someone who doesn't express their emotions except for in extreme situations. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> I think we've talked about that before, haven't we? Yeah, like the stoic man, someone who does not show his emotions except only to her or in extreme situations. That's literally what that is. So he hasn't lost anything. And it's getting on my nerves that they keep trying to push this narrative of him not being a person anymore simply because he's lost the ability to cry. (laughs) Oh, like you know there are can't cry anymore. Boo-hoo. They act like 
they act like there are human. There are humans who cry. Who they act like there are humans who don't cry for no reason at all, and there and that there are other humans who don't cry even when people would think it is warranted, simply because that's just not the way they are. So it's like, once again, it's a bunch of idiots writing about a subject they don't understand. They thought it would be cool, and so they wrote about it, but they don't actually understand what they're writing about. It's it's in at this point it's becoming infuriating because I'm tired of listening to it. I was like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You need to stop. <laughs> um what I did like about this episode, and sorry well, once again, sorry for interrupting, I'll try to keep this brief. What I did like That's is fine. that um about these two episodes is the fighting. Because Miggy will go through this whole thing of explaining and analyzing his opponent to Shinichi, and I actually like that. Him analyzing his opponent's strengths and weaknesses, and then taking their own strengths and weaknesses into account to formulate a plan to defeat their enemy. I actually really like that about this series. If this series was just that, I would be all in. This would be great. (laughs) It, It I I have come to realize that I feel about this series the same way I feel about Batman v Superman. If that movie had been nothing but them fighting Doomsday for two hours and left out all of the plot bull, contrived plot bullshit that they came up with, that movie would have been a nine out of ten. Hmm. This no, anime is Martha and Space Martha. Yeah, but we had to have your mom name is Martha too. Well, that fixes all of our issues with each other, doesn't it? We're bestest buddies now. Both, hey, hey, Wonder Woman. Both of our moms was named Martha. Is your mom's is your mom's name Martha? And Wonder Woman's like, no. I think Wonder Woman's going to be a problem. <laughs> her mom's not named. Her mom's not named Martha. <laughs> Nope, can't be having no Superman. <laughs> Superman, we have to kill Wonder Woman. Superman's like, wait, what? She's our friend. If there's even one percent possibility, Superman, that she could be a threat because her name, her mom's not named Martha, we have to take it as an absolute and kill her. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the plot of that movie. But yeah, and. This anime strikes me as the same thing. If it was nothing but the fight scenes between Shinichi and the parasites the entire time, this would be I, this would at least be enjoyable, right? But when hmm. you put the plot in there, it's like, yeah, this is just fucking dumb. <laughs> at least for me. Right. So, so this woe is me, I'm, am I still human and more Shinichi? He's using Parasite Crane style. We must counter with Parasite Tiger King. The ti- Tiger King style. Roar. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the best part. Like Shinichi, Shinichi, he's using the Golden Moon Ox style, so we must counter him with Diving Swan Black Void style. That's the most interesting thing in this entire series. I love it. Like, I really honestly love when Mickey is just analyzing their opponents during a fight, and then uh, and then they do the fight. Like, I, I fucking love it. It's like, it's just the rest of it that's just annoying. It's not interesting. It's just annoying. 
right. I will state that I uh, I watched the because we're talking about the 15th and 16th episode. I watched a little of the 17th episode. I think I watched half of it because it centered around Tamora. And mm-hmm. I know I shouldn't have, but I did anyway. And I watched half the first. I watched the first half of the episode. I would really like it if they killed Shinichi and Miggy grafted himself to Tamura and then we followed Tamura and Miggy. Just fucking get rid of Shinichi. I'm <laughs> fucking tired of it, man. I'm just I'm fucking tired of it. Get rid of Shinichi and move the story forward with Tamura and Miggy. Because they're the most interesting characters in this whole in, in this whole anime, our pro our uh, Shinichi, who is supposed to be our protagonist, is a fucking dud. He's a dud. Hmm. Just fucking kill him off, and let's follow Tamura. Um, and when you watch the next episode, you'll understand why I say that. But I, I won't say anything else uh, about it than that, though. I got you. So, in in episode fifteen, the council votes to kill Shinichi, and they send this very weird parasite. He's expressive, which, much to Shinichi's chagrin, after he starts fu- attacking Shinichi, Shinichi's like, "Oh, that parasite can express himself. Oh shit, I gotta run!" And he takes off. Oh, you know what's another oversight of the writers? They had Shinichi acknowledge that the best way to determine a parasite from a person is that parasites can't express themselves. They don't express. How is it that Shinichi figured that out, but the organization literally meant in or literally meant to kill these things has not figured that out yet? Plot armor. <laughs> well, I, I'll say this. I'll be fair about it and say this. It may only be because Shinichi has been able to actually speak with them and thus notice that difference. And the organization, mm-hmm. having never been able to actually talk to one, it might be that is the reason. <sighs> My problem with that is are they not doing any for, are they not doing any form of surve- surveillance on suspected parasites? How are they going about their investigations that they haven't at least gotten to that point where they have been observing what they think is an actual parasite and been observing them and only intervening when that parasite is about to kill someone? Because then you would have easily noticed they don't have they don't express. They're basically straight deadpan. They're emotionless. It would be an easy thing to recognize if you observed one. Yeah, but then it'd probably but, end up being the whole hair pulling thing. They do it once and then never again. Yeah, yeah well, you're not wrong. <laughs> so, but kids, yeah. yeah, so another part, I think this is when Miggy or when Shinichi's trying to run away from this parasite sent to kill him. Murano shows up again, and she cares again. It's like, Shinichi, where are you going? Get out of the way! Run! And the episode ends with, uh, I guess, him introducing himself as Mickey instead of Miggy, and he makes the point that uh, Miggy is named for him being his right hand. And the episode ends with 
us finding out that there's three parasites inside this guy. Which then no, turns it out is. to be oh. Yeah, it turns out to be well, five. Yeah, it turns out to be five. And so uh, we'd already mentioned it in in episode 16. The detective's family is killed. Um, I, I guess I thought this was funny because the next thing I wrote down was minimum size requirement. That uh, mm-hmm. Miggy was saying uh, he needed to, I guess, attack or something. Well, it, it once again shows how... Uh, so this is one of the things that uh, got on my nerves, too. And I know a lot of things are getting on my nerves. But <laughs> specific, uh, this got on my nerves for a very specific reason. Shinichi gets all pissed off and angry and decides he is going to fight the parasites. He's going to actively seek them out and kill them one at a time by himself, which is an insanely stupid thing to do. Um <laughs> Especially now that he knows they're organized. He just, whatever, one-man army. All right. Um, He's the protagonist. He can pull it off. The problem is he shows very, uh, he he showed before and even now how inexperienced he is when it comes to fighting, period. Especially with his new strength, speed, durability, reflexes, reaction. He has not done anything to find out what his limits are, to train himself, nothing. He did no preparation. He just gets pissed off and goes, I'm going to kill a parasite. That's what he does, which puts (laughs) him and others in more danger than anything else. And so when you bring up the part where he was taught where Miggy, uh, because basically the parasite they were fighting the arm split into three blades each. So it was Miggy's two blades versus the three. Well, Shinichi was like, make more blades. And Miggy was like, well, the blades need to be of a certain length and thickness in order to be effective. Plus, I was going like, well, if there are three parasites in that body, Shinichi, if Miggy makes more blades, they could just make more blades. So you're still outnumbered, you dumb fuck. (laughs) This is our hero, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Fucking A. It, like, the only benefit he got was that he became a jock. He's still an idiot teenager. <laughs> he hasn't he matured need, even a little bit. He doesn't need his glasses. He's got super strength, speed, stamina, which he proves in this next episode because uh, they're fighting. And like Gerald said, uh, Miggy's talking about, you know, I have certain minimum size requirements. I can't just, you know, make more. So a truck passes by and Miggy just launches himself to grab the truck and, and whips Shinichi away. So they get more distance away from the, uh, from the parasite. And they, uh, I think they talk about how, yeah, Shinichi's faster, but you know, the, the parasite sent to kill them can play the long game because we see that because he keeps ending up showing up. Okay. See, that was another thing too. This. Okay. So just in context, listeners, just for context, Shinichi hopped in a taxi 
and the parasite following him that is supposed to be the is the assassin that the organization said to kill Shinichi, uh, Mickey. We'll call him Mickey. Now, it wasn't Mickey before because they showed the head of the organization going to the uh, parasite that they were going to send. And it was another guy. I forget his name. But he, but the, uh, the organization head brought up the fact that Mickey said he wanted to do it. So the guy was like, yeah, I'll let Mickey do it. He needs to practice. So, <laughs> so Mickey was the one that went. And when Mickey was chasing him, he didn't have control over his leg. So he was just as slow as any human. <clears throat> so when they got out of the taxis, they're on this long stretch of road, and Shinichi just runs. And then they show <laughs> Shinichi get tired, which I call bullshit because we've seen Shinichi run longer, jump over 15-foot walls, and all this other shit, and he's never once been tired. But he runs a couple of miles, and now he's tired. And he didn't <laughs> even run for very long because he hopped, he caught a ride. He ended up catching a ride with someone. And I and the reason I bring context is this being this this long sort of country road, like one that you would find in the middle of Arizona or something. It's just one of those long stretches of roads where there's nothing but woods or there's nothing but desert. You know, there's nothing for miles around. It's just the road. The parasite kept hitching rides on other vehicles to catch up with Shinichi. Every time Shinichi stopped, there would be a convenient vehicle that happened to be coming down that long stretch of fucking highway that the other parasite <laughs> could jump onto and get a, and catch up with them. And I was like, is this a Wile E. Coyote cartoon to where just cars are just always conveniently placed? What the fuck? Like, literally, every time Shinichi stopped, five seconds later would come by and no it was always a truck it was always some kind of truck it would be a flatbed or it would be a trailer truck and here's the parasite on top of it jumping down and then we never see another car until Shinichi ran off again and stopped <laughs> and once again once again I paused the show and was like fuck you show Fuck you. <laughs> it would have made it even funnier if one of the trucks was an Acme truck. Right? <laughs> fucking A. Uh, so, so in between the, uh, the, chase, the chase scenes... The PI goes to the police and asks for Harama. Now, do you remember who Harama is? Because I don't. Uh, Harama is the detective leading the, uh, I, I want to say organization, but I guess it's better to say unit. He's leading the unit that's actually investigating the parasites and trying to stop them. Okay. He's right. the guy so that Shinichi's dad was talking to when Shinichi got home that day. Okay, right. Yeah. So... They're talking, and then another, and an, an, in another scene, Miggy mentions human laws and morals, and I jotted that down because we're going to be talking about that soon. Mm. And Shinichi calls his dad, tells his dad to get out the house since you know people are dying who are surround, you know, who are surrounding him. Um, 
Miggy makes a mention that 30% of him is still scattered throughout Shinichi's body. Uh, I forget who Tommy is talking to, but she says basically humans are a hive mind. Did she say it was a hive mind? Well, that's how I put it. Hmm. But like there are, I think she said the human human consciousness is a collective some 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 shit like that. I'd have to go back and check. Yeah. And we go back to the school where Yuko gives Murano Shinichi's backpack. I guess he dropped it when he was running. And after talking with uh, Harama, the PI now wants to kill Tamiya. So does another parasite, and the episode ends with three parasites being sent to kill her. Yeah. That's all the notes I have for that. (laughs) And that's that's pretty much what happened. Shinichi warned his dad because the organization knows who he is. It'd be easy enough for them to track him down to his uh, to track him to his uh, house. And find out about his dad. That'd be easy enough. So that's why he uh, warned his dad about it. Um, Yeah, and it's like once... So what ends up happening is uh, how we were talking about how at first they thought it was three parasites. And 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 Mickey was the one they sent, but they were going to be talking to another guy. As the fight goes on, they find out that um, Mickey is normally the right arm of the body. And that there are five parasites, both the legs, the arms, and the head are parasites. And the guy that the head of the parasite organization talked to is normally the one in charge because he can actually uh, he can connect all yeah, he can control all the limbs properly. And so and one of the the thing with Mickey is the reason he couldn't control his legs well is because he could only control up to two of the other parasites uh, in in sync. He could only be in sync with two of the other parasites at a time, whereas the uh, the actual like leader of the five parasites of the body can sync all of them. So once he took over. He proved immediately he was way more powerful than Shinichi and Mickey. Um, and so they run, and he morphs his legs to make himself faster. Uh, he can, like, ma- like oh, he's cra- like, it's crazy how much stuff he can do. Um, and the way they get away from him is Mickey, they're on the back of a truck. And he jumps on the truck with him. And Miggy sees another truck coming, conveniently enough, and moves the first truck to the side, uh, like, just within the hit range of the other truck and knocks him off with the other truck. And unfortunately, the other truck stops because, you know, they just hit what they thought is a person. And the guys get out to make sure he's okay. And he's like, I've lost too much blood. I need blood. And eats both of the other drivers. Mm. So this is what I'm talking about when I go Shinichi's is just making rash decisions whenever he gets pissed off. Because it's getting people, it easily can get people killed. Right. So... (laughs) 
this whole ongoing like am i still really human because i can't cry or express myself like i used to is a stupid <laughs> argument because he will then go off the handle with anger and do some stupid shit which <laughs> like nah dude you're still human and a dumb one cuz yeah like you would actually be better off if you were a little bit more like the parasites. You would actually have a hot, you wouldn't need all the plot armor (laughs) because there's actually no reason you should have survived that fight. You were unprepared, you were outmatched, and there is no reason you should have been able to have gotten away from your opponent. They do it in, in a kind of convincing way, but the problem was Once again, these are supposed to be logical creatures. So instead of his opponent just immediately killing him, which he would have been easily able to do, it decided to bounce around all the trees and show him how much more powerful it was than him. And then when it trapped him on the truck, it was hanging off the side and slowly moving towards them instead of just killing them. So they shouldn't have even survived that fight, but you know, plot armor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, clearly, uh, Miggy's grabbed the steering wheel and edge the truck style outmatched uh, the parasites hang on the edge of the truck style. Hmm. He's using hang on the truck style. I'm going to use steer in the oncoming traffic style. It's super effective. effective. (laughs) We're not sticking around to try to catch this Pokemon, though. (laughs) (laughs) Let that fucker die in the field. Right. that, That brings up something I saw, I think, on Facebook. Pokemon is actually a very horrific game. Oh yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I either I, I planned on bringing that up. I actually think I planned on bringing that up. Um, but yeah, Pokemon is fucked. There is a Pokemon in there's a Pokemon that is a ghost grass type, and it's like this ghostly tree. Do you know how it's created? It is created from children who go out into the forest and die in the forest, and then their spirit turns into that Pokemon. Well, I, I was talking specifically like, you know, you're going out, you're training your your Pokemon, and you're just leaving a trail of knock-the-fuck-out Pokemon behind you. Well, that too. <laughs> but yeah, now that, now that when you mentioned that, uh, I think it's Generation 2, the Driftloon. Mm-hmm. Its origin is it's a it's a Pokemon that steals children because the children think it's a balloon. They go to grab it, and Driftloon just flies off with the kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently, this is all perfectly okay. Yep. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, there's a uh, there's a dark dragon. I forget what gen it is, uh, but there's a dark dragon that I really liked. He was a staple on my team. It it's got three heads, 
and flies. And it is a it is considered a dragon, a disaster dragon, and will just go on a rampage for weeks at a time, destroying everything within like a 10 mile radius. Right. And if you if you've ever seen a Pokemon map, there's always someone within a 10 mile radius. <laughs> just <laughs> like <sighs> yeah when you really sit when you really sit down and think about uh some of the stuff that happens in pokemon that goes on in pokemon like descriptions and stuff like that yeah pokemon is a terrifying like the fact that they allow children to just go off by themselves to become Pokemon trainers is insane. <laughs> it's insane. Like, there are so many Pokemon that are ridiculously dangerous. It is, it, it is it, like, it is irresponsible and uncomfortable conscionable that they just let 12 year old kids run out in the world on their own it's like yeah this Pokemon <laughs> can rip your soul out but hey you want to train it go for it right <laughs> <laughs> like there are so many Pokemon where you read their descriptions and it's like oh this is a danger to everything around it like an actual Fatal danger to everything around it. <laughs> hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. But, let's you know. uh, let's take a quick sponsor break. I need to uh, call the wife back and run to the bathroom, and we'll come back and talk about Lucifer. Okay. Uh, this episode. Yeah, this episode may I watched this episode and I was like, oh, I'm starting to see what Chewie's talking about. Right. Uh, but we will be right back after this quick break. All right. <clears throat> so wife's debit card got eaten by the ATM. So we're going to have have some interesting uh, gymnastics to have to do uh, until she can get a new card. <sighs> gotcha. But yeah, Pokemon's a fucked up game. <laughs> All right, Lucifer. So yes, this uh, this episode. Can we just stop with the 1940s flashback shit? Like, <laughs> I thought we had matured past that after Star Trek. And Star Trek is the first place I really remember seeing the flashback 1940s setup. So it was it was fine. And they didn't do it very often. I think they did like uh, a two or three part series at one point in time. And other than that, it was like random. 
when they well, might do that. And it, it was it was holodeck stuff. Normally, it was well, Picard doing a doing a, a detective noir program, but the uh, right. It was uh, it was called Times Arrow, and it was a two part episode, and it was uh, evidently Guinan is a her her race is a long living race, so she was there in the forties. They had to leave Data's head in a cave and then come back four hundred years later to get it. Some kind of weird shit like that. <laughs> but sorry, continue. Well, no, you're fine. I was just saying, I'm tired of the 1940s motif. They can stop. <laughs> but can they? Can they really? They can. They're just choosing not to, and they need to. <laughs> they need to fucking stop. So we finally see Trixie again. I know we uh, we mentioned that, what, last episode or episode before? Last episode, we mentioned that we hadn't seen Trixie except for but once. And even yeah. in this episode, she's not really there. She's she is the what's a good word? Not the reason, but she's the facilitator behind the episode. But she's not the focus of it. She's not right. a part of it. She's just the excuse. That's that's what we're yeah. Trixie's the excuse to have this episode, but she's not <laughs> actually a part of it. Right. So. It starts out that Lucifer has the Monopoly board set up. I guess he and the detective like to play board games. <clears throat> Trixie shows up and she's like, eh, Monopoly's no fun if it's just two people. And so this is where I'm like, oh, wonderful. It's filler episode story time. New yeah. York City, 1946. We find out that Lilith is Maze's mother. Well, Lilith is the mother of all the demons. Right. Yeah. But just for those who don't know who Lilith is, uh, Lilith is Adam's first wife, as far as the lore goes. And she was cast out of uh, the Garden of Eden because she wouldn't bow her head to Adam or God. She basically wanted to do whatever she wanted to do whenever she wanted to do it. So God right. kicked her out. And when he made Eve, he did it by taking a rib from Adam because Lilith was not made from a portion of Adam's body. Um, and then it is stated that what Lilith did after she was kicked out of the Garden Eden is that she descended into hell where she lay with all the demons in the he in hell and gave birth to all the world's monsters. Hmm. But at least she didn't open Pandora's box. Eh. Well, <laughs> the things in Pandora's box probably were a couple of her kids. <laughs> so. So we... So Lucifer... I'm, I'm assuming this is it's it's filler episode story time, but it is Lucifer doing doing one of his jaunts up to the world, mm. and uh, he goes into the club where Lilith is singing. They talk about uh, Marie Antoinette's coming out party. Um, the there's Hemingway in town, and let's see. So we find out that Lilith is missing the ring. So she, and basically <laughs> Lucifer strong-armed into, into finding it because he owes her. And then we mm -hmm. get this, 
we get this quippy line, oh, the devil solving a crime. Who would have thought? Yeah, it's uh, like, really? <laughs> it's like they took the they took the bad puns from the L from the Lieutenant Diablo and they're now now putting them into other episodes. But Right. And <laughs> it wouldn't like nothing that going that goes on really surprises me because Lucifer is a very inquisitive person pretty much it's just the the it's just uh, <laughs> just uh and as far as lore wise in the universe um as far as lore wise in the universe i'm starting to understand what Chewie, uh, Chewie was saying about that as well because li- apparently Lilith teamed up with Lucifer in his rebellion against heaven. And she's the one who provided him with his army of demons. Like, they're all her children. How she had them, they don't go into. But the entire army of demons are all Lilith's children. And of course, Lilith looks... Do- and of course, Maze is a carbon copy of Lilith. Right. Uh. But so they this entire episode has characters, you know, the the cast is kind of the cast, but they're different. So like when we're introduced to Jack the PI, uh Trixie has to make some kind of, you know, gender comment, like, oh well, why does it have to be a guy? So Chloe's the PI. Linda's the bartender. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> I wrote down this is corny as fuck. Ellie is the uh, the uh, the crime the mobster. Yeah, Stompanato. She gives uh, when she's introduced. She gives Chloe and Lucifer the Godfather talk. They actually make a Discworld reference in this episode uh, when Lucifer says, let's trip the light fantastic. That's actually the first book in the Discworld series is the light fantastic. Or no, it's the second book. First one is Color of Magic. And the second is the light fantastic. Mm. I don't remember much about the Discworld books. I read the Faces of e- is it was it the faces of evil or no i read the one about all the different aspects that comprise the like war death uh the devil i forget it was a i think it was the Discworld series and it was a series of books that basically explained each one and and their in the way that someone is chosen to become the next one um, I don't think I've read that one. I've read a couple of them. Uh, I'll look it up. Maybe I'm thinking of another book series. I think it, it, it well, I think it was Terry Pratchett. Didn't Terry Pratchett do Disc- the Discworld series too? Yeah, he did. Okay, so maybe there are two different book series that he wrote. Because I'm pretty sure it reads like that. But anyway, continue. Yeah, so we get, we get uh, gender equality because Charlotte uh, makes an appearance back again as Jack's wife. And so they're trying to find this guy, Lucky Larry, who they think stole the ring. 
Well, he shows up at uh, the P at Chloe's house with a knife in his back. We're back. Like it when I try to uh, raise or lower my volume. Mm, I'm not sure what I don't know what happened, but uh, yeah. So Lucky Larry gets stabbed in the back. Dan is a very floofy rich guy. Uh, still a douche. Mm. We find out that the ring came from Eden. It was like the one thing Lilith had that reminds her of where she came from. Yeah, it, it specifically is a piece of Eden. Right. Not to be confused with the movie Exit from Eden. Mm. <laughs> you- but, uh, so then we find out Stompanato's dead, and the Eye of Horus appears somewhere. And of course, there has to be a secret cult, doesn't there? Has to be. And and it's not like you ha- you have to uh, like they go into the into the shop, and it's not like they have to you know do a secret handshake or speak a password. Dude just comes up and is like, "Oh, you must be here for the secret cult ceremony." Ugh. And Amenadiel ends up being a huckster. I, I almost wanted to uh, compare him to Constantine. Mm. Just because he's, he's like a spiritual con man. And then, like you said, we found out Lilith gave Lucifer his army. Uh, she had sex with Montezuma. Um, <laughs> The ring doesn't Man, do anything. I don't There's... judge. <laughs> right, right. But uh, so we find out that whoever stole the ring stole it because they figured it would give the wearer immortality. And oh, you son of a bitch got killed by a drone. <laughs> Fucking drones. Got to be careful of the drones. Yeah, evidently. And Caligula gets mentioned. Mm, at one point, I think Dan is the killer, but he's not. And we find out it was Linda that hired Larry to steal the ring. The club that they that uh, she works in, uh, Lilith works in, is the Garden Club. Could they be any more overt in the symbolism? Right. And it was uh, it was the guy who killed Stepanato, but Linda is the one who hired him to look for the ring and to kill Stepanato. <laughs> Careful now. Because we sorry. Uh, and the reason she did that is because we find out from Lilith that the ring doesn't do anything. It has no special properties. It doesn't give the person who wears it immortality. So they came up with the conclusion that if someone got a hold of the ring and found that it didn't do what it was supposed to do, then they would try to find a way to get it to do it. They they would think that it needed to be activated. And, and when they talk to Amenadiel's character, you find out that there's a ritual for activating it. And what you're normally supposed to use is like the heart of a sheep, but the but if you use the heart of a human, it's more effective. So that's why they killed Stampanato, because they ripped out Stampanato's heart to do the ritual. 
Then come to find out that Linda was the mastermind behind it all, which I actually thought she was because she was talking about how her uh, um, her husband was yeah was injured, and as she didn't say exactly what was wrong, but he seems to be like in a coma. So that's why she wanted to get the ring so she could heal him and get him back, basically. And I also found it interesting that she orchestrated the entire thing. She was an accomplice to both theft and murder. Because even if the ring wasn't magical in nature, it was a huge, giant diamond. Back then, that was a fortune. And if you do theft over $50,000, it's what, a felony? Yeah. So not only did she orchestrate the theft of a high-value item, she was also the orchestra she was she also was the orchestrator of premeditated murder and accomplice and the accomplice in that murder. And our story ends with Dan's character going to jail for the murder and the theft, and Linda's character getting off fucking scot-free. No <laughs> consequences at all. Right. <laughs> well. <laughs> right, but in the end, when she does get the ring back, she basically puts her immortality into it and gives it to Lucifer. Yeah, and at when she did that, I thought that they were implying that Lucifer's immortality, like his invulnerability and not being able to be killed, was because of the ring. Um, but I don't think they're implying that because we've, at least I hope not, because we've seen situations where like a minute, there, there was literally an episode where a DL was shot and came back. And then he spends the episode looking for the necklace that God gave him. It was his. It was like his most cherished prize because it was a gift from God, from that he got from his father. Right. And the guy had shot him and t- shot and basically had like shot him in the chest and killed and basically killed him and took it. So that's not the reason for the invulnerability the angels have. They're just invulnerable to mortal weapons. But what I think it might be setting up is that the ring is going to be given to Chloe once they reconcile all their romantic problems. That way she can stay with him forever. Hmm. I didn't think about that. Man. And we've seen that hell isn't actually like some horrible place. Like they, they've been reiterating the fact that hell is hell because of the people in it. Not because it is it, hell is more like an insane asylum rather than a <laughs> prison, right? right? The tortures are actually self-inflicted, so it is implied. It's kind of like um, have you? If anyone listening or David, if you know, there's a movie with Robin Williams. Um, uh, what, what is dreams it called? May come. What dreams, what dreams may come. come? Right. It's the same. Good. No, that's what I was saying. What dreams may come. Yeah, what dreams may come. It's the same concept because there's a scene in the movie where they go to hell and it it is explained that hell is the way it is because of the guilt of the people in it. 
and that is the only reason people go to hell. It is their own guilt that draws them down into this place, and their tortures are their own guilt-written consciousness, uh, their own guilt-written conscience. So if you were able to uh, and he pulls his wife out of hell by getting her to realize that there's no reason for her to feel guilty about the death of their children and stuff like that. And that allows her to free herself and he's able to bring her up to heaven with him. Right. So that's it's the same concept that's being implied here in Lucifer, that everyone's tortures in hell are self-inflicted. And if they learn their lesson and move past it to be better people, they could actually leave hell and go to heaven. <clears throat> that was a good movie, by the way. That was a really good movie. It's one of my favorites. I know I, I have seen- it on DVD. Yeah, I just haven't seen it in a long time. I need to see it, sit down and rewatch it. Indeed. But uh, so we find that out, and uh, you know, Trixie. It's like, okay, that was a good story. She goes down into the elevator, and there's Maze. So I'm like, what? Maze bet Trixie that she couldn't find this stuff out or something? And at the very end of the episode, Maze goes and confronts her mother. Doesn't get the reception she was hoping. Oh, no. Continue. Continue. No, I was just saying she doesn't get the, the reception she was hoping. Yeah. So you can elaborate from there. Oh, um, well, the context of... Maze went to see her mother, plain and simple, because that was the first person who abandoned them. Because what Lilith did is she basically decided she'd lived long enough, so she put her immortality in the ring and gave it to Lucifer so that she could grow old and die as a human. And she did that because of what Linda did, the fact that Linda was willing to do all everything she did simply to keep her husband. Because she loved him that much. And that said something to her. So she decided to get rid of her immortality and live out as a human. Maze went to find the mother that abandoned her and everyone else. And, you know, was asking her mom, why did you do that? And her mother was like, and Lilith basically told her because to make you stronger so that you wouldn't need anyone. And it worked. Look, you don't need anyone. And then Hmm. Maze just thinks about that for a second and turns around and walks away. And not in a you're right kind of way, but in a, oh, this is my mother kind of way. I Hmm. thought Lilith had learned a lesson from what Linda had done, but apparently she hadn't. (laughs) So (laughs) I understand more and more why Chewie is like, the writing has very much suffered. Because this show runs off of its interactions, and we're not getting that. Whoever is writing the show now <clears throat> is really trying to tell a narrative, and they're not doing a good job of it. Um, hmm. They, uh, uh, where to? First off, I'm tired of the 1940s things. You're telling me there was no better story Lucifer could have told. Lucifer, in his thousands of years of existence. He's been around since the beginning of time. There were no better stories he had to tell Trixie. Hmm. Like, that baffles me. He specifically told that story. Yeah. Also, 
why the fuck would Linda's character think that a ring could actually do that? What would possibly incline her to believe that that the ring Lilith had could actually make someone immortal? How would she have tested it outside of killing someone? Well, no they they do they do bring that up because uh, Linda said okay. she saw Lilith uh, get you know hit by bullets and walked away. But why would she think that that was because of the ring? I guess just because of the legend. So she assumed it was the ring. It couldn't be Lilith. Okay. 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 I don't remember that part. So, okay. Then <laughs> my bad. They came up with an explanation for that. But how would May? Okay. So at the end of the episode, Trixie, we find out that May sent Trixie specifically there to find out that story about her mom. How could Trixie have known? How could Maze have known that he would tell Trixie that story? Since this was a secret between Lucifer and Lilith, how did Maze know he knew where her mother was? Ooh, ooh. Maze wasn't around then. I know the answer to this one. It's plot armor. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Also, there are scenes in the retelling of this that Lucifer is on. There's that conversation between Lilith and Linda. How does Lucifer know about those situations he wasn't there for? See, see you're, you're thinking too much. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> oh, what, what's, that, what's that shit called? There's a, there's a term for it. Um, mm-hmm. Suspension of reality or suspension of belief. Belief. Suspension of disbelief. But the problem is he is telling a story from his memory, meaning he can only go from his perspective and the events that happened that he was there for, that he knows about. But they play the story as if it's just like any of the other episodes. So there are things going on that Lucifer couldn't have possibly known about that we're finding out about. What? And it still doesn't explain, well, you said plot armor, because it doesn't explain why Maze would think Lucifer knew where his mother was, why, why she would believe that if he told Trixie a story, that would be the specific story he would tell her. Right. So contrived, contrived plot armor bullshit. Now I, I'm understanding exactly what Chewie is talking about <laughs> now. And it really sucks if this is going to be the rest of this season because they're ruining a really good show. And it sucks if this is going to be the rest of it. Well, uh, another thought occurred to me uh, since Lucifer is the antithesis of his father, at least in, you know, in the lore. Could Lucifer also be omnipotent? No. Uh, at least, no, he's not. Um, so this is the, the, the original way the actual comic is for Lucifer is that God put him in charge of hell. He got tired of that shit and quit and left. Hmm. 
Lucifer's power. Lucifer is like the second most powerful, second or third most powerful being in that storyline's universe. The reason is him and Michael, it has nothing to do with this whole what is your desire, what is your fear bullshit that they came up with the show. The reason that is is because Michael has the ability to create anything. He has the same ability to create that God has. He can just create things. Planets, worlds, reality, whatever. Hmm. Lucifer's ability is the ability to manipulate anything that has been created. Hmm. So he can warp reality. Hmm. Now, Now it's my understanding, at least how I understand it, that Michael is the Head Archangel. Yes. It's not Amenadiel. It's actually Michael. Yeah, so then I guess it would go Michael, Amenadiel, then Lucifer in power, right? No, because if I'm not mistaken, Amenadiel isn't a character from the comic, or at least not he's not the old in this in this telling of it, Amenadiel is the eldest brother. I don't remember that from the comic because I read the first two I read the first two comics, and it goes over this. Mm. Michael is the eldest. Lucifer is second-born, and then all the other angels. And you have Raphael, you have Uriel, so you have the traditional four big archangels. And then, I don't even I do not remember Amenadiel. He might be there, but I don't remember him. Mm. Um... I'll have to go back and read the com. I'll have to sit down, go back and read the comics. Um, I'm trying to just go off of this world's lore, but when comparing it to the actual comic, there's a lot that is not the way it's supposed to be. And I understand why they had to downplay the powers of the angels. They basically can manipulate the fabric of reality itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I get it. Um, but uh. Yeah, that's the that's basically the long and short of it. So, um, I don't know. I I thought <laughs> it wasn't a good episode. It, it wasn't a good episode. It really wasn't. Um, I I'm pretty sure I got a laugh out of it here and there, and they did a little lore dumping with with Lilith and stuff like that. So we'll have to see. <sighs> We'll we'll have to see how that goes. Um, once again, it doesn't. It still doesn't explain. It, this is what I also feel like they might be implying, though I can't be sure. Is that Lucifer is the father of all the demons because Lilith gave him an army, meaning she birthed all those demons. But they never talk about who the demon's father was. And that might also explain why Maze is so attached to Lucifer and why him abandoning her is such a huge deal because it's her father abandoning her. Right. Could be. And I know and I and I know we have uh I don't think we've ever seen Lucifer in an actual sexual situation with Maze, though it is implied in ta- at times. Mm. But I don't think there's ever been a time he's actually been sexual with her. 
Um, but even so, angels and demons look at sexuality in a completely different way anyway, so I don't know if it would matter. Um, right. But yeah, it, it, it may be that this show is implying that Lucifer is the father of all the demons too, which ex which explains why they listen to him, why they're so attached to him, because they revere him. Right. Yeah. They they damn what a lot of them de outright worship him. So. Mm. So I don't know. Could be. Could be. <sighs> so, shall we get into the so-called meat and potatoes of today's episode? Yep. Let's go ahead. All right. We'll take our. Uh, our last sponsor break since there's three sponsors now and uh, we'll come back and get deep hmm. all right welcome back everybody so Gerald would you say you're a moral ethical person or more of a survivalist I would say I try to be both I try to have I try to have a healthy balance of both. I try to be a moral ethical person and I also try to be a practical person. Um, but mm -hmm. if we're going to talk about moral like so the the topic today ladies and gentlemen is basically morals and um, instinct, you know. The the dichotomy am I using the right word? The dichotomy of that yes. and like morals versus instincts. So Let's break down exactly what each one means, and we'll talk about we'll talk about ethics as well. So, morals is a system of beliefs that is taught for deciding good or bad. So, this is a system that is set up by a society and taught to everyone as these are the principles of good and bad. Instinct is an innate, typically fixed pattern of behavior in animals in response to certain stimuli a natural or intuitive way of acting or thinking. So this is something that across the board, everyone basically has, and the stimuli causes the exact same reaction, right? So he sees a pretty girl, he has an instinctive reaction of becoming sexually active. Woman sees a pretty guy, she has an instinctive reaction to become sexually active. Um, Ice hits your skin. You have a distinctive reaction to shiver or pull away because it's cold. You get hot. You instinctively look for some way to cool yourself down because you know getting too hot is bad, right? These are all instinctive reactions that are the same really no matter who you uh, are talking to. Whereas morals can be actually very malleable depending on who you're talking to, the society that set them up. But they're usually a general set of rules for everybody to know the difference between something that is good and something that is bad. Ethics, or I would like to say values, are an innate sense of right and wrong. So like your own personal code. So ethics or values could easily contradict morals so those are not the same thing right hmm. 
Okay, well, I explained that, so (laughs) (laughs) don't have me doing all the talking. Well, you've got the pretty voice. (laughs) (laughs) So, when it comes down to it, well, like like Gerald said, the, the title of this part is Ethics and Morals versus Survival, or Instinct. And like Gerald said, he likes to have a healthy amount of both. Now, having too much of one or the other can be a bad thing. If you're too much of a survivalist, you might uh, let your morals and ethics slip. Whereas if you have too much morals and ethics, get yourself in some hot water and not be able to survive. Something like that. Yeah, well, it it really comes down to uh, we when we were first speaking about this, I said specifically morals versus uh, instincts, and which one wins? Do morals beat instinct, or do morals or instincts beat morals? And when it comes down to brass tacks, our survivalist instinct is probably always going to win over the moral position. But then again, we've also seen situations where that's not exactly true. And then as I've been reading about what morals and instincts are, uh, the uh, the discussion came up of, well, are morals just an extinction, extension of our instinct? Um, and instinct decides what our morals are at any you know, given time in our development as a species. And there's evidence to say that, yes, the evolution of morals, but then there's also evidence to state that, no, that's not true. And morals are a thing outside of ourselves that we may intuitively, that may intuitively uh, present themselves to us, but they are... There are times when morals went out over the instinctive drive to survive, right? Right. Or just instinct in general. Um, and one of the reasons is morality often involves reasoning and clarifying concepts and ideas. Uh, ethical debates or like ethical debates on like abortion, assisted suicide, same-sex marriage involved uh, involve undertaking and interpreting certain ideas in a particular way. They involve arguments and presenting evidence to defend a specific position. They are not uncontrolled reactions, which in uh, which in fact is the last thing you want in any kind of ethical or moral debate. Hmm. Right. The logic versus emotion. Right. Like, logic built the weapons, but emotion used them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. And, and especially when it comes to, like, say, a moral, ethical, or instinctual debate, the instinctual is probably going to be more emotionally tied or no, it would probably be vice versa, right? Well, it, some of the discussions say um, that our morals 
are malleable because they they usually run in line with our own personal lifestyles. So they are our morals can very much be emotionally driven. Yeah, instincts are not emotionally driven, but instincts can drive our emotions. That's why there's such a fine line between lust and love. Hmm. Right. That makes sense. Uh, I'm trying to trying to think here. Also trying to kill shit at the same time. <laughs> so, I don't know. Should we should we structure this as when it comes to debating or certain specifics in life? Then, so like, if you want to live morally, ethically, you know, there's. I guess certain <clears throat> certain aspects you won't have available to you, whereas if you were living more instinctual, I don't know if that's make if that makes sense or not. Mm, say it again. If you were <laughs> if you were to live more morally and ethically, there certainly wouldn't be able to do certain things instinctually. Like, like you said, you have to have that balance. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> I was yeah. not sure how deep this is going to get. <laughs> Got to, you had a whole week, man. You had a whole week. um let's see uh so one of the things i discovered is um well let's let's go down the list of my notes then let's go down the list of my notes now here's a quote by c.s lewis who is clive staples lewis He says, each man is at every moment subjected to several different sets of law, but there is only one of these which he is free to disobey. As a body, he is subjected to gravitation and cannot disobey it. If you leave him unsupported in midair, he has no more choice about falling than a stone has. As an organism, he is subjected to various biological laws which he cannot disobey any more than an animal can. Um... So look at it like, okay, so we we look at survival versus moral ethics, right? Mm -hmm. So we've had times where a person's child has been in danger and they have sacrificed themselves for the child. And this is one of the things that comes up in this discussion a lot. Is an act bad or good or or instinctive or moral because of the act or because of the way we perceive it? So... Is the is the is the parent protecting the child because of moral uh, out of a moral obligation, or are they protecting the child out of a instinctive obligation to protect their progeny? And the case can be made that it is instinctive or it is moral because there are there are plenty of uh, there are plenty of examples where a uh, where an animal will just leave its children to die to safeguard itself because it mm-hmm. can always have more children. And there are just as many situations where that animal will fight to the death 
to protect its offspring. So is it a moral thing or an instinctive thing? And if we say it's a moral thing, is that morality, is that morality being created by our instinctive need to protect our offspring? Well, I would almost say that we're, we're trying to do a, a this versus that, but I think instinct underlies all of it because, you know, like you said, you know, animals will leave a weak or, you know, sick or injured uh, spawn to die. Whereas if like there was a video I saw, my friend sent it to me. Uh, I think it might've been up in your neck of the woods because there's like a herd of Buffalo in the middle of the road and people were just Mm kind of gathered around because, you know, can't get the Buffalo to move. You have to wait for them to move before you can, you know, keep going. Well, this dumb woman just started walking up to him like she was going to reach out and pet one of them. Well, she ended up getting a little too close to one of the uh, buffalo's calves, the baby buffalo, and the buffalo Mm. mother basically hooked her with one of her horns and drug her about 300 feet and then tossed her in the Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The buffalo mother was not wrong. (laughs) so you know there's there's that kind of instinct and at the underlying okay so that that's actually a good dividing point for where the instinct of an animal and the instinct of a human differ so you know say you have a, a wolf mother who births cubs well the runt cub probably She's probably just going to leave it to die. You know, all the other cubs are stronger. You know, they're more able to survive and she can, I guess, sense that instinctually. Whereas you have a a mother gives birth to a child who might have some kind of birth defect. Well, she's not just going to die. You know, that, I guess that would be where the, the morals and the ethics of that mother would uh, supersede the instinct. Hmm. And then also, because uh, I was listening to Incredible Feats, it's a uh, it's a new daily like short podcast by Dan Cummins, and uh, one of the episodes was about how people can get superhuman strength, like. One of the examples was a uh, a Camaro, like ran over a biker, and like was dragging the biker underneath it. Well, dude sees that, runs up, lifts a three thousand pound car up off the kid so he can get out. An instinct now, to protect. Yeah, and there's also okay, so. Let's see. There was also a part of the discussion that piqued my interest as well. While you're thinking about that, I'll give another example uh, from the movie I, Robot. 
remember we find out how um, Will Smith's character had been given uh, cybernetic implants because when he uh, when he had his accident and was in his car in the water, a robot came and rescued him, but didn't save the girl. Right. And that that kind of that little bit kind of it was a uh, impetus for his racism against the robots because they're yeah. cold, cold, unfeeling, calculating. You know, he made the that robot made the choice that Will Smith's character had like a 50% more, uh, 50% better chance to survive than the child did. Right. So that could be a, a polar opposite of how, uh, eth- you know, morals and ethics are, uh, not good in some cases. Well, it wasn't really. Well, it, he also was a robot, so you don't expect him to have morals and ethics. That also comes down to his programming, because um, that comes down to the programming, because the programmer should have made sure that when it came to any situation where it was in uh where it was like like uh, what am i trying to say here brain <laughs> order your thoughts send them down to the mouth so that the mouth can interpret them properly okay so that also brings up the notion that the pro- the programmer should have programmed the robot to understand that in a situation where it has to choose who to save it's not the person with the highest probability to save it is in the the robot should at all times try to save any children first regardless of the circumstances so that was actually a programming problem because these are still robots right and even in the movie will smith was like they're not thinking they're not feeling and that's why it's like well then you shouldn't be mad at the robots you should be mad at the people who programmed them (laughs) <laughs> that's like that's like being mad at a that's like being mad at the to- the sophisticated toaster that keeps burning your toast because it's like no it's supposed to be good at this temperature for human consumption. Well that's not the toaster's problem. That's the people that's the brand that created the toaster and they need to modify hmm. the toaster so it knows better, right? <laughs> Damn you smart toaster, stop burning my toast. <laughs> But okay, so you could I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, yeah, that's that's the fault of the of the three laws operating system author. But you could I would also dare say that morals and ethics are a type of program in and of themselves. You could say it's like a human operating system. You know, the morals are taught, yes. So that's a that's a program that, that you are that's uploaded to you. The ethics, which are abstract, which I had just looked up, are also something either you teach yourself or are taught. If that makes sense. No, no, I can understand. I can see it from that. I can see it from that angle. I can absolutely see it from that angle. Um, 
So I guess if we're so are, are we just going to talk about let's see is this going to be a debate on if because if we go do morals be instinct they can they do it all the time um, one of the discussions brought up the fact that uh, a man who is instinctively programmed to spread his seed as far and wide as he can would uh, uses his morals to understand that he should only be sexually active with his wife, right? One um, well, it's the way it's <laughs> supposed to go, but there are cheaters on you know both sides of that talk. So, yeah. but basically, the the good husband, right, uses his morals to go. Just because another woman is interested in me doesn't mean I go having sex with another woman. I I have sex with my wife and only my wife, right? So that's morals winning out over instinct. Now, if it comes down to a situation of just basic survival, we even will see. So is society just a construct of the survival instinct at that point then? Because when it comes down to just blanket survival, humans are willing to commit horrible atrocities against each other to survive. We'll kill, we'll murder, we'll steal, we'll lie, we'll deceive, fine, right? So that we can survive. But at the same time, we build groups to increase that survival and we will treat the people within that group fine. It's how families develop, it's how nations develop, it's how you know everything that has to do with the society has developed. Um, and then we start making rules so the things that we do to other people, we don't do to each other within our communities, right? So we make rules. Um, and those rules are normally morals that we follow by as right and wrong. But not every moral right and wrong can be uh, seen as, an as derived by an instinct. Because there's also in the discussion a... Uh, it was stating that if morals are if morals are simply created by our instinct to either preserve or destroy, then at any point in time, if the majority of our species has like, let's say, an instinct to just be psychotically murderous, then that becomes our world. But that mm. it, you know, but that that's that's not the thing. And it also comes down to, well, if it is an instinctive thing. If instinct is what is right and everything against instinct is wrong, what if a human is born with a instinct to kill, right? Do we blame yeah. that person for their instinct to kill when, it, when, we, when we're able to prove that it is actual instinct that that's happening? Mm. So mm. Aaron, now we're getting deep. <clears throat> Yes, I like it. So let's uh, cite um, a serial killer, for example, uh, the BTK, because uh, one of the podcasts talked about him in the last couple days. This guy lived in California, of course, and was uh, responsible, was convicted of uh, torturing and killing seven women. And, and what he would do is he would, the BTK stood for bind, torture, and kill. So he'd pick his target. They, they all had uh, long brown hair. 
mm-hmm. he would, I guess, you know, he'd kidnap them, tie them up, you know, sexually assault them, and then strangle them to death. So when it when it when it went into the serial killer category, women would women were buying, you know, going to hair salons, getting their hair cut short, or you know, dyeing their hair, getting wigs, an instinctual. Um, instinctual act to make sure that you don't aren't the one killed next. And when they finally caught the guy, it was intimated that he was killing just because he was a uh, you know an incel from back then. Mm-hmm. You know, so not a good argument for instinct, or would it be? You know, the, these girls won't let me have sex with him, so I'm just going to kill him. That's some shitty instinct, if it is. <laughs> mm. You're not wrong, but yeah. And uh, another uh, option was brought. Uh, a part of the discussion was the. It was like if what if uh, all of a sudden women were being born who had the black widow instinct, and so they were mm. killing the men that they reproduced with. Well. If this is just a new instinct, um, is that now something that is that now something that we should abhor because it's it's it is literally their instinct to do this. Hmm. Well, that's where the moral and ethical side of it would come in. <laughs> well, you'd <laughs> hope. But if 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 if, if uh, morals, uh, but if morals are a evolution of instinct, then the instinct might be considered right. Now, when I bring that up, understand that those listening, some of you might be horrified if you'd be like you're probably thinking no we go that's not okay and we try to fix it with medication or psycho or psychology or something right so Hmm. is that your morals going no that is wrong and thus we can't allow that to happen or is that your instinctive fear of that happening Mm, well i think i would instinctively not want to die you know, be killed by the person <laughs> I'm having sex with. But that is a that is a good point. And well, hell, I'm pretty sure there's been some societies where uh, you know that kind of thing would be okay. Cultures, you know, like cannibalism, like cannibalism, instinctively, or okay, so yeah. So cannibalism, uh, who was it? The Donner Party back in the 17 or 1800s were stuck on a, on a mountainside or something. And to survive, they resorted to eating each other. Now, morally, that's reprehensible. But instinctually, well, at least that guy survived, right? Right. Hmm. He might, uh, might have been a little crazier now because uh, there is 
a human version of mad cow disease, which is why a lot of uh, cannibalistic tribes are fucking crazy. <laughs> mm. uh, that actually makes me think of uh, Vagabond. I was telling you about that. And how it's about, it's a samurai story, and it it basically talks about this specific thing, where it is, you have all these lofty high ideals of morality and what's right and wrong, until you're put into a life or death situation. And it really becomes clear that, yeah, it's all well and good to be morally and ethical, but it also is better to be morally and ethical while you're alive. <laughs> right yeah because he's put in all these situations where it is an affront to his honor to do what needs to be done so that he can cons- he can survive the conflict that he is in and he does it because at the end of the day it is better to be alive <laughs> than morally right mm. so I don't know I don't know I, I don't know like there are some people who prove that theory wrong. Like they're they're more they're willing to die for their morals. And I feel like someone who's willing to die for the notion of doing what is right is what is the word I'm looking for? Is not honorable. What is the word I'm looking for here? I can't think of the word. Brain not giving me the word. Um, well, but we'll say... Sounds right yeah, enough. It, it, it is very honorable to me for a person to be willing to die for to be morally right. To go, no, this is the right thing to do and this is what we should do. The problem is life doesn't reflect that. And mm-hmm. more often than not, we're willing to allow evil to happen because... It is better to watch evil happen and be alive than it is to be right and be dead. And that is very instinctively written in, the hu- in our human genetic code. Be alive. Yeah. <laughs> so I think when it comes to life or death, instinct normally, I won't say 100% hands down all the time, but, on a, but 7 out of 10 times, the instinct to survive instinct is going to win out over morals rather than morals winning out over instinct. Mm. Yeah. But then, so conversely, like say, Audie Murphy, he, one of the, he's one of the few to have been rewarded the Medal of Honor without having died. And that's that's like one of the, <clears throat> I want to say one of the key components, like you, you bypass your survival instinct to go back and, you know, rescue that guy who's fallen. Or, you know, like in, in the case of Forrest Gump, even though it's fiction, you know, he wasn't even thinking about survival. He was trying to find Bubba. Right. And in, and in, and in doing so rescued his entire platoon, at least he was still alive. And that got him the medal of honor. 
So that high, well, I guess call it a high morality bypassed his survival instinct to do good. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess this is a. I thought this subject would be a much longer thing to talk about, and it is. But the problem is, it is becoming more about what constitutes morality and instinct rather than instinct versus morality. Like the the answer for the most part is, uh, survival will most often than not win out over morality, just hands down. More often than not. Your instincts, uh, well, it's, it's more the instinct to survive that's the, that re will normally win out. Right. Um, the, yeah, the instinct to survive and live will, most la will mo almost always win out over morals. Whatever your moral standpoint, when it comes between you and living, you living will become your top priority almost seven out of ten times when we talk about morals versus instinct in other areas then it gets a little then it gets more of a the 50 50 matchup right then it becomes more of a which kind of depends on the circumstances um right so yeah it's like so then it becomes a question of okay in what situations would morals versus instincts who would win in those situations and the thing is we've seen it go both ways it really really depends on the situation um it also depends on well what is the morally correct thing that has been decided upon by society at that time because for the longest time it wasn't morally okay to get divorced but now you can make an active decision on whether you should get divorced or not and people will stay in terrible religion in terrible situations simply because of uh their ability their because it gives them the ability to survive right it's like well i have to stay in this relationship because otherwise i'm out on the street that's a survival instinct. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like <clears throat> divorce, is, you know, in a majority of religions is looked down upon because, <clears throat> well, I don't, I don't know why it's stupid, but that that's where, you, that's where your moral is supposed to supersede your, you know, your desire to not be beat the fuck up to the point where one time he kills you. Whereas the logical and instinctual um, choice would be to leave that motherfucker and live. Right. Yeah. Nah, fucker. But yeah, so I think when we go morals versus ethics, we really have to take into account the circumstances. Yeah. Um, and what the situation is really calling for. Indeed. Indeed. Hmm. We might have to revisit this once we've uh, 
or hell, once I've done some more research. <laughs> well, we may want to visit it in two parts as well. So instead of going morals versus instincts, we should just delve into the... We should delve into instincts and what constitutes as instinct, and we should delve into morals and what constitutes as morals. Because just talking about them as two separate subjects might be far more interesting. Um, especially with the stuff I've been reading about morals and how like morals typically follow the person's lifestyle, like monogamy and polygamy um, mm. and polyamory. And like, cause I have friends in monogamous relationships and I also have friends in uh, polyamorous relationships. And for the As most part, I. yeah. And for the most part, what I have noticed is that relationships are relationships doesn't matter if it's monogamous or polyamorous and for those who don't know what who may not understand what poly, uh, polyamory is or what monogamy is monogamy is one woman for every man one man for every woman so that's your traditional uh husband and wife that's the relationship between those two people polyamory is when the there is a husband and a wife but the wife has a boyfriend and the husband has a girlfriend. There are multiple people in, in, in an intimate relationship, right? Polygamy is when you have like three women in a relationship with one man or three men in a relationship with one woman or a man with several wives or a woman with several husbands. That's what polygamy is. Right. Hey, am I right about that? That is what polygamy is, right? Yes. Okay. Just, just making sure. That's what I remember. Um, so yeah, I've had which is the, oh sorry go ahead go ahead which is uh, <laughs> so for um what is it what's that fucking crazy religion not Scientology the other one Mormons Mormons yeah I was about, I, yeah. I, was, I was trying to I was, I was trying to remember <laughs> yeah so in Mormonism at least the the extreme case that's where you have the one husband. And multiple wives sometimes, you know, he marries sisters, you know, whatever. And there's a, in Asia, there's a society where the woman is in charge and she will take, you know, like. Uh, say, you keep talking. I'll be right back. Okay. I'll be right back. Right. So, yeah. So like in the, in the case of polyamory, I have a friend who. Like Gerald said, he's married. The wife has a boyfriend. Uh, my friend has two girlfriends. Well, okay, a girlfriend and a partner because the one of them is uh, non-binary, something like that. But yeah, there's a, the big issue with that is trust. So, like, my monogamous friends would be like, oh, how, how can they do that? You know, and jealousy is a big thing. It's a, I guess we could bring that back around to instinct. Isn't that right, Gerald? Okay, I'm back. <laughs> what did I miss? <laughs> so I was talking about the, the polyamory and how one of the instincts that, you know, monogamous people would worry about is jealousy. Mm -hmm. But even so like, when. Oh. Good. 
Oh no, go ahead. And it's like I was just gonna say, even you, you said monogamy, but even uh, I thought you said uh, polyamory, but no, you said monogamy. So no, continue. Yeah. So like, well, like even in a monogamous relationship, you know, one spouse or the other could be very jealous. Yeah. Like I, I saw you talking to that woman. You, you don't talk to her no more. I've known her for 30 years. I don't care. And, uh, you know, something that monogamous people worry about is it can sometimes be a thing in polyamory, but more, more often than not, it's trust. Like you, you have trust that, you know, your wife's not going to divorce you and run off with her boyfriend or vice versa kind of thing. Yeah. So do we want to uh, to discuss then morals versus ethics? Or uh, save that for another Well, we've been discussing morals versus ethics. That's why I brought up poly, uh, monogamy and uh, polyamory, because at one time, polyamory would be considered completely immoral. But mm-hmm. as society has been changing it is actually becoming more accepted and not being morally wrong or ambiguous or anything like that because from what i have what i have realized from seeing po- uh, polyamorous relationships and monogamous mm-hmm. relationships they're exactly the same there are just more people involved in one People right. still get jealous. People still argue. Polyamorous relationships aren't any less stable than monogamous relationships. <laughs> every relation, every good polyamorous relationship and every good monogamous relationship I've seen comes down to one thing. Communication. Uh, well, two <laughs> things. Communication yeah. and trust. Communicating right. with your partner, letting them know what you want, letting them know what you don't want, and being honest about it. And then trusting the other person. That's it. Those two things would save a lot of shitty marriages. Yep. I've seen polyamorous relationships more solid than most than uh, not most. I've seen polyamorous relationships that are literally more solid, communicative and trusting and loving than a lot of monogamous relationships that I've seen friends or uh, acquaintances go through. Um, getting in and out of several different monogamous relationships because they couldn't make it work. I've seen monogamous relationships, really good monogamous relationships that were far more stable and uh, far more stable than uh, polyamorous relationships that uh, friends or acquaintances would get into or be a part of. And it literally all comes down to communication and trust. Letting that person know exactly what you want and exactly what you need and what you don't want and what you don't want to deal with. Hmm. Simple as that. And it comes down to also understanding that sometimes you have to do what's best for the other person, even if it's at your disadvantage. Hmm. Sometimes you got to be like, well, you want a polyamorous relationship. I want a monogamous relationship. I understand that you seem to need this, and while I do want to be with you, if that's not the kind of relationship you can be a part of, then our relationship can't work. Because there are a lot of people who get into polyamorous relationships who don't want to be in them, and then that eventually destroys all the relationships involved. 
You mm. have to be honest and communicative, but that's just relationships. So really polyamory, monogamy, polygamy, all that shit is just preferential. It's just, what do you like? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, uh, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, what else can we bring up? Ooh, here you go. Um, well, you already brought up, you know, sat, you know, self-sacrifice, but like the the Armageddon situation where, you know, Bruce Willis's character gives up his own life to save the lives of everybody. Yeah. Morals winning over survival. Though I think mm-hmm. in Armageddon, if he hadn't done that, he would have, everyone would have died. <laughs> mm, yeah. Because it was Armageddon, they're literally trying to save the human race. Yeah, but it was more, it was Ben Affleck's character that drew the the short straw. But he, uh, Bruce Willis's character, you know, pulled his oxygen tube out and shoved him back in the in the elevator, and mm. and just didn't. Gotcha. Mm. And. I don't know. It's one of those weird things. Like when, when you have a situation like that, I sometimes wonder, you know, what, what happens five, 10 years down the road, you know, like friggin' Ben Affleck's characters bitching at his at Liv Tyler, his wife's character. And then she's just like, my dad killed himself for you. <laughs> well, that would, for one um but humans are humans i mean Mm. the way they are yep (laughs) i mean she might do that she might not do that it's just one of those things i think about with uh, like all the happily ever after stuff you know what what happens years down the road when they're squabbling and someone throws that card out on the table Like I slayed the, I slayed a dragon and went through a labyrinth just to find you, and you won't go down on me. Mm-hmm. You know, just weird, weird shit. I think about sometimes. Yeah, but once again, humans being petty. Mm. Indeed. Uh. Do you have anything else you can think of to add to the topic? Mm, not really. Not without getting into, like, literally going into everything that makes, like, literally going into a discussion of morals and discussion of, like, instincts. So, and those are two different topics all on their own. All right. All right. So, let's uh, wrap it up with final thoughts. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm done with uh, you. Once you <laughs> will, r- wa- like right after the podcast, if you have time, uh, 
I want you to uh, watch the seventh, the next episode of Parasite, and you'll understand what I mean by uh, Tamia should be the uh, uh, Tamia should be the main character. You'll understand. Um, uh, like, <laughs> I think you'll understand. I'm pretty much done with this anime. It's dumb. Um, I would even say, since we were talking about morals and ethics, that what they're really trying to do with their theme is go logic versus emotion. But but once again, they're still handling something that they don't understand properly themselves, let alone try to use it as a theme in a story that people are going to read. But if they kill Shinichi... And make Tamura the main character, or Miss Tamia. I'm all for that. <laughs> um, Tamia is a Tamia is the best character in the show right now. Like she is a parasite who is coldly logical, but not only is she starting to slowly understand human emotion, she's starting to have some human emotion. Um. She's also a badass, and she is curious. She wants to know wh- who sent the parasites, why were they sent, what is the point of it all. She, she studies humans as much as she studies other parasites. She is trying to understand the human, uh, the human animal. She is also trying to understand the parasite animal. And by way of understanding the parasite animal, understand herself. She, they literally made a char- They literally made a character who is better than their main character, and I think they did it by accident. <laughs> because I think they're this se- whiny seventeen-year-old. I want to. I want to talk. I want to see about the chick. Because she's a much better character. She's just a better character. There's a better <laughs> story there. Like. She went from basic, like, we haven't seen too much of the kid that she gave birth to, but they show a scene where she's breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. You don't have to breastfeed anymore. You, there is formula for children. You don't have to breastfeed. Because remember, when Tamiya first found out she was pregnant, as far as she was concerned, the kid was an experimental tool. And if it didn't turn out to be that, she was just going to eat it. Mm, Now, now she's sitting in a chair breastfeeding it and breastfeeding is the best way to bond yeah she's changing and let's also understand something if you want to put all of Shinichi's problems on the feet of the fact that he's only a teenage kid who's like 15 16 years old understand that the parasites are like a year old or two None of them, this all happened, none of them are even a year old, actually. The parasites are all, like, only a couple of months old. They're just insanely intelligent, but they're also children, and they're younger children than Shinichi, and they're still handling the situation better than him. Fuck this Hmm. guy. (laughs) (laughs) 
<sighs> that and all the fucking waffling between him and, and Murano is getting old, too. Yeah, this teenage melodrama bullshit is just fucking stupid. Like, Murano, <laughs> get on the horse or fucking go home. Tired of your bullshit. <laughs> right? Like, well, come on. Tell me, have you have you had sex with her yet? I uh, can't even get her to be consistent with me. <laughs> yeah well that's just teenagers in an anime being teenagers there's all it, it, that's just that's just that's just guys being guys you're always gonna have the one friend when you tell him that you're dating some chick a week later he's gonna be like have you pounded it yet it's like dude <laughs> we've been dating for like a week chill <laughs> so how about that shinichi d yeah, it's, and that's the thing. It's it's always the dudes, but it, none of the girls have been like, so have you and Sinichi had sex yet? Like, none of them have done that yet that I can remember. Maybe they have, and I just don't remember it. Well, the the little short one, she's the one who's the most, I guess, sexual out of the, out of the girls. Like, I guess she had a, she has a thing for Shinichi too, and she was like, mm, you don't know what you're missing. Um, I know the one girl with glasses told her to leave Shinichi alone because he belonged to Murano. Um, but they never go into specifics about like how they never go into specifics about if, Uh, they never go into specifics if the other girl is like was a romantic rival or anything, right? Or she just wanted that Shinichi D. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I guess you could say Kana was a romantic rival. The that one chick he met on the boat was a, a romantic rival. I mean, hell, the only one not looking up. Uh, wedding dresses as Murano. Mm. Truth. I mean, <laughs> I understand where Murano is coming from, but it's like, yeah, but you're you're just going back and forth. You don't want anybody else to be with him because the moment you see him with another girl, you get all fucking uh, teenage girly about your property and shit, and you're like, oh, he's my man. <laughs> and, right? Like she, she has like an emotional issue because he's, he's talking to another girl, but then you don't want to date him either. And once again, this is still partly Shinichi's fault because I still don't think he's told her about... Uh, her what happened to his mom and his dad right so it's partially his fault but it is also partially her fault because she won't just she won't make the decision right she hmm. does what a lot of she Murano is doing what a lot of bad women do they leave the guy in a ambiguous situation they haven't said that they don't want a relationship but they won't commit to the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So they, 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 they keep themselves at a distance, but they haven't said that, well, this just can't work, we're done. So they keep the guy in an ambiguous situation. So if he does start seeing another girl, it's his fault. She never said that they weren't together anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So now yeah. it's his fault. Even if he hasn't talked to her in days or weeks, keeps, keeps them in that 
ambiguous situation, so she always has plausible deniability. It's like, no, Marana is like, no, make a decision. Either you can't handle this right now, and you need time to think about it before you come up with a decision. So that means anything that happens until you come up with a decision is something that you just have to accept. Hmm. Um, or you're in you're in this for the long run, and or you are part of this relationship, and thus you need to treat it like a relationship, right? But no, Murano's just not doing either of those things. Hmm. <laughs> so no, she's doing what a lot of bad women do. Don't that, date that women me, like Murano. <laughs> that makes me think back to the how you said <laughs> the show didn't have the balls to kill her off. Oh yeah, they didn't have the balls to kill her off. And you know what? If she does die in the series, it's only going to be to promote more of Shinichi's melodrama bullshit. She will she will be a she will be a tool for the plot. That's it. Yeah, probably. Mm. Hang on a second. Mm. Water went down the wrong tube. Mm. Not fun. And Lucifer. Mm. I, I too um, am what we said. <clears throat> but still enjoying it. I just yeah. might change a little bit here and there. Yeah, um I don't know. I I'm kind of meh. <laughs> I'm kind of like I unfortunately I didn't really enjoy this episode of Lucifer all that much. I was just I uh, I had already figured out who the real culprit was and it, and they had they kind of had a uh, they had faked me out. I was like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. And then it turned out, nope, I'm right. Hmm. Then it literally turned out I was right. I I thought it was Linda because she wanted to save her fucking, she wanted to save her husband. Um, and I ended up being right. They made me think I was wrong when they uh, made Dan's character the one who had the ring. So I was like, oh, it was Dan's character. Hmm, guess I was wrong. And uh, so... Uh, um, and then the rest of the show was just—I don't know. It's just, nah. <clears throat> well, if they do another season, they need to fire these writers. Dude, I—I I don't even think they still put together a show. It's not so much that they need to fire the writers; it's just they need to uh the writers need to pull their heads out of their asses they need to watch the first couple of seasons they need to understand what made the show good and they need to uh they need to uh get back to that mm, right <clears throat> and i guess we'll see if uh, lucifer does give chloe the ring Oh, no, we don't have Chewy here to spoil it since he fell asleep. No. Nah. <laughs> There's no worries. Let the guy sleep. 
Um, but uh, so uh, we'll see what else Lucifer does. I I really hope it doesn't get as bad as Chewie says. But yeah, this episode definitely wrong direction. Definitely a wrong direction. Um, and as far as morals versus instincts, eh, depends on the situation. If it comes down to a life or death struggle, instinct will probably be most likely 80% of the time win. When it comes to other situations, it's kind of a toss-up, actually. When it mm. comes down to – really, when it comes down to situations in which you can actually think it out, morals has an advantage in winning at that point in time. But it also depends on what morals a person has. So because mm-hmm. uh, one of the parts of the discussion was that humans do have morals in varying degrees. So what is more like really morally reprehensible to one person may not be as morally reprehensible to someone else. Uh, so there might be varying degrees. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, it's just one of those things. Mm. All right. <clears throat> so as per the usual, thank you all for listening. It kind of didn't go as I guess we would have hoped it would go. Um, but thank you for listening. Have a good, uh, uh upcoming week. And I'm, I'm going to keep saying it until one of y'all does it. You know, tell us what you think on our Twitter or locals. Give us ideas of what you would like to hear, uh, what you like, what you don't like, or even just say hi. You know, it'd be, it'd be nice to find out who some of these listeners are that keep coming back to listen to us ramble. Yeah. Absolutely. Everybody take care. Uh, Have a good day. Continue having a good week. And we will see you next time. Later, everybody.